I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. Sam, we're up, live Steve? on YouTube. We're back from the islands. Our faces are up and yeah. we're, we're ready to go. Today, we're going to review the entire AFC free agency picture so far. And we're back with a bonus podcast tomorrow to go through the NFC. Sound good? Yep. All right, let's get into it. Uh, by the way, free agency 30 is the promo code. 30% off all PFF subscriptions this week. 30% off free agency 30 go crush it because PFF elite has added so many new stats to premium stats big yeah. time throws big time throw percentage the whole deal the stuff that everybody was asking for for a long time and usually us because you know we're amongst the most front-facing members of PFF and we talk about big time throws in turn of where he plays quite a lot so it's like yeah. well when am I going to get to see it now you can follow now, along at home the answer is now now you can see it it's in premium stats if you've got elite you've got it you've got it right now you might need to refresh, log out, whatever it is, but it's there. It's there, and now you can see turnover-worthy plays and the rate. We, we start with the, uh, the mailbag, just get it out of the way and tease the email address and all that kind of stuff, and we can get into free agency. Go for it. I was going to actually – let me segue quickly. Okay. We did have an astute email um, that I just – I remembered it. I don't remember the name, but somebody did email and ask, now that we have turnover-worthy play percentage, I've noticed that a low percentage of turnover-worthy plays become interceptions. Um, and it was it was a good catch. However, the reason for that is because turnover-worthy plays also include fumbles. So the turnover-worthy play number can't always be directly related to interceptions. It also includes fumbles in which we uh, create, you know, give bad downgrades to the quarterback. So it's mm -hmm. not always uh, apples to apples there. Not all fumbles, just the ones where they're actually... Right. Some fall. fumbles are not necessarily the quarterback's fault or tough to avoid, but the ones where we say that's bad ball security will go down as a turnover-worthy play. So comparing turnover-worthy plays to interceptions is not always the cleanest way to go. Yep. All right. What you got for uh, mailbag here? So mailbag, we have opened the mailbag to the people. Uh, NFL podcast, singular, at pff.com is our email address. Send us an email. Send us your musings, your thoughts, uh, whatever it is you want to talk about. Uh, the better they are, the more we enjoy them. And if they're really good, we'll read them out in the show. And if we read one out on the show, we will give one subscription per week mailbag of the week mailbag letter of the week not mailbag of the week uh so this is this week's by somebody called brian verbaken i guess v-e-r-b-a-k-e-n let's go with verbaken uh hey steve and sam thanks for taking our questions i'd love to get your thoughts on my question and if you've got the time enjoy reading through the secondary benefits of the strategy so the question is how many more projected wins or epa or wpa or whatever would a team add if they went for it on fourth down at the t or on the two-point conversion every single time for an entire season, right? Essentially, I forget this, 
So I'm not answering that one, right? I've decided to take the question, bastardize it for my own purposes, and yeah. come up with a slightly different one. Yeah. So that is not a good strategy necessarily, right? There's the dude in high school or whatever that just always goes for it, never punts. There are times where you should punt. You know, yeah. there just are. There, there are times where it is the right decision to kick the points, to punt, whatever it is. I'm interested in what would happen if you just took the correct call every time. So mm. everybody right now in the NFL has got something that shows them the data that says fourth down and whatever it is from the wherever, yes or no. Do you go for it? Do you not? What is the win percentage points? PFF has this data. We've been pushing it for a while. Two teams. It's on broadcast, all this kind of stuff. So I'm curious if you just did the thing that that data tells you to do every single time, what would the results be? If you avoided the touchy-feely, you know, gut instinct element of being the football coach and saying, well, momentum's against us. We've got to get these points, whatever. And so the apparently the answer to that is depending on the team, because obviously the situation and the alternative is important, right? It's not just yes. the, that situation. Between 0.2 and 0.6 wins per team per season. 0.2 to 0.6 wins? Right, which sounds like nothing, but when you, if you're conversive in you know, PFF's war... I'm going to fire up PFF like, IQ. That's worth you... a good player. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a significant movement in your win uh, percentage over the course of a season. Where'd you get that answer? Don't worry about it. I, I know smart people. Interesting. So what do you got? Give me a player. What's the equivalent of that? Well, just firing it up right yeah, now. Fire it up. Yeah. I know the point. I know I mean, that's a, like Quentin Nelson's in that range. Yes, and I think Travis Kelsey is in that range. Like it's a good player, depending so, on where in that situation it is. So if you were t so point two wins, is a is a good defensive lineman. Yeah, pretty good defensive lineman. Point five wins. We always talk about cornerback value here. Point five wins is Kyle Fuller of the Bears last year. Okay, half a win. Marcus Peters, William Jackson. There you go. So William Jackson, our top free agent corner, was worth 0.49. So you can go spend wins. happy in free agency and bring in a difference maker to your defense, or you could just make the right call every time or during the season. For a fraction of the price, you could buy PFF IQ, which gives you all of those. You Look at that. Uh, yeah, it gives you our, our game management yeah. tool, which gives you all of those decisions. Or, you know, you can do both and get yourself a needle mover on defense and make the right call every time on uh, the next, the following season. I'm throwing that Double into Double your, your mix. I'm throwing that into our deck. The fact that, you know, PFF IQ is equal to half a win just in the game management section, mm -hmm. plus half a win with William Jackson. He had a full win. There you go. Right there. Uh, by the way, I was, um, you know, you don't, you think you made a bad shirt decision, but I, somebody I in do. the chat here, it's Jeff W., says Sam brought, the, Sam brought the A-plus shirt game. I, I, yeah. So people, somebody mentioned a while ago that. And then somebody else said, Sam, that shirt, dude. But he's a, he's a Vikings fan. Yeah, somebody mentioned that I should, you know, put on a shirt, dress up a little bit for the podcast, and I was browsing online, and this one, you know, it, the picture made it look okay. I thought, all right, I, yeah. I can pull that off. I, I look a lot like a curtain. Yeah. Now, our curtains are pretty boring, but... Which looks close to my uh, Carson Wentz arm sleeve shirt. But it feels like, you know... See, I think that'd be a better curtain. I like that. Produ producers I'm not in love Alyssa with. and Mike love that when you do that I'm, see, I'm watching on the stream right there that would be a good curtain that actually does right? fit the but, I mean I don't think those two things combine well I think buy if, another shirt put it in my size we'll hang it up as a curtain if something would make a good curtain I think it automatically doesn't make a great shirt is my point alright let's get into <clears throat> AFC 
We'll go eight, We'll go team by team, or you just want to go through? Let's go through the big stories. Let's start with the Patriots. We did a whole PFF <laughs> daily on this, uh, winners and losers on Monday. You put them in the, the loser category. I did. You know, so let's, let's discuss that. New England Patriots, high-level view on what they did, a quick review on what they did. They signed everybody. People are – I can't decide if it's like this – Free agent period, more than any others, appears to be rife with some impressive degrees of water carrying by the insiders and people breaking news, clearly just conveying messages that are being given to them. Great move, outstanding player, you know, and just feeding whatever agents or whoever it is is feeding them information is giving them. It's, I mean, it's always happened, I'm sure, to a degree, but this year it feels like they're just letting rip. Like, whatever the message that arrives in my phone is, I'm just putting it out into the world. The number of people that are tying themselves in knots to explain how this Patriots spending spree is like vintage Belichick genius. 4D chess. This man amassed himself a war chest just for the time that nobody else had any money because the salary cap shrunk. So he could go out there and outspend everybody and crush free agency. You're like, no, stop it. I mean, come on. That's implausible to the point of farcical. And yet people are putting that out there as like a real thing that this was a concerted strategy from the get-go. Uh, it isn't. They, this is evidence of a team whose roster has fallen to pieces and they need to go on a spending spree in order to recover before they even figure out who the quarterback is going forward. This is a, a clinic. Who is it? Somebody, Lewis Riddick, I think, termed it a clinic in free agency. The only thing this is a clinic in is desperation. Lewis said that? Yes. I'm shocked by that. The only thing this is is a clinic in desperation during free agency. Well, so here's my take on on the Patriots. It's not a clinic, nor is it they're losers. It's it's in between. Vent sitter, huh? I'm sitting on the fence because there's <laughs> that's the answer here. We actually had a very astute one of our listeners, one of our millions, who came and said, "Thank you for sitting on the fence every now and again. Not everything is." Super duper or garbage. There, but there's nuance to all of this. Are the Patriots better in 2021, Sam? Uh, yes. Okay. So I think that's the point. They're better in 2021. We're sitting here all last year. We're like, look, Cam Newton didn't play well, but who is he throwing to? For the second year in a row, guys don't get open. There's just no speed. There's no dynamic playmaker. There's nobody defenses fear. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. Now they have stuff. They've got two tight ends. John New Smith and Hunter Henry. The two tight, top tight ends on the PFF free agent board, they have both. They're both different style players. You got your true Y inline tight end in Hunter Henry. You got your move tight end in John New Smith. Good. Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. Bourne's not like a crazy speedy playmaker or anything. Pretty good receiver. Aguilar, I, I mentioned on New England TV last night, I said Patriots fans are either going to love or hate him. Five weeks in, yeah. love or hate. Right. He's going to either have a couple key drops or he's going to become – a deep threat that he was last year with the Raiders. I, I don't think there's much in between with him. Interestingly, by the way, the tight ends are actually, by alignment, the opposite way around. Hunter Henry, over the last couple of years, has spent way more time in the slaughter out wide than Jonu Smith has. Yeah. But I don't disagree that that actually might be the way around that you would line them up as, as the Patriots. It's what it, what it means, I think, is that both these guys are kind of interchangeable. Like, you can actually, unlike Gronk and Hernandez, which was very much a here's your inline tight end and here's your move tight end slash guy that can go in the backfield because he's prohibitively bad as a blocker. 
Now you've got two guys, I think, that can both be either. But those can, guys were interchangeable too. I mean, you like Gronk. Gronk lines up in the backfield. He lines up out wide. I mean, so yeah, but the it point was more is Hernandez if, was the limiting factor. When you when I say wide tight end and move tight end, it's like if you have a two tight end set where they're both in line. Hunter Henry's on the line. John Smith is in motion. Like that's the the idea that they're going to move around. Absolutely. Josh McDaniels finally has. He wasn't creating mis- mismatches with Matt Lacoste over Correct. the last couple of years. It, so. What is interesting, though, do you think this is related to the Patriots' complete and total inability to find wide receivers? That they've gone, you know what? Screw it. Let's go back to a two-tight-end system. Let's build this offense that nobody else in the NFL has right now, and we didn't even come close to having um, because we can't find wide receivers. We don't, we're not capable of finding four, which we need to do. In- to a point, yeah. I would, but I think... Because that's the, the most interesting thing about the spending spree to me is that it does show a clear and obvious direction that they're going to. It shows a complete and total pivot in offense towards a two tight end system, which is pretty unique in today's NFL and a complete departure from what they've had in the last decade. Um, and it, it, you only do that, I think, if you've completely made a balls of acquiring wide receivers over the last few years. I would, but I, they, they were worse acquiring tight ends. Let's just well, back, yeah. back up a little bit. Rob Gronkowski, 2017, that was the last time he was elite, unbelievable good. 2018, they tried to trade him. Kind of felt like it could have been his last year. Wasn't, you know, kind of lost his legs a little bit. They still win the Super Bowl. He retires at the end of the season. They had not prepared for that. They had the worst group of tight ends. Cam only threw 6% of his passes to tight ends last year, lowest in the league. Why? Because they were terrible. In 2019 and 20, probably the slowest team in the NFL. I think New England's offense, what they like to do is have options, options, different ways to win. And I think at a high level, what this has allowed them to do is to win games in different ways. Last year, when they won games offensively, it was those few games where they ran the ball uh, really well, 200 yards, 250 yards. And Cam is a really good run threat. So now you have that option to win games. There are going to be some games, especially with this offensive line now, Trent Brown, Isaiah Wynn, uh, Awenu, Awenu and um, Shaq Mason, like they have a power run blocking line. Mm-hmm. They're going to have some games where they overpower teams. They're going to have some games now where you have Hunter Henry, John New Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers to throw to. So they just have more options and flexibility. That is the crux of these moves offensively for the Patriots. People have been saying for years that Bill Belichick will be the first guy to pivot to a different style of playing the game than everybody else in the NFL. Like the league has been trending ever more pass happy. It's been getting smaller, faster on both sides of the ball, using spread systems, whether it's horizontally or vertically, attack space. And everybody's been saying for a few years now that somebody is going to pivot back the other way. Like somebody is going to amass this power, old school football type of team and run riot because nobody is prepared to deal with that and the titans sort of did it a little bit with the what it was the exotic smash mouth or something that they call that thing the ravens have had something like that with lamar jackson and the run game that they've amassed but i think this is the most concerted effort we've seen a team go all the way in that direction let's amass a bunch of road grading monsters up front we'll get two tight ends we'll get a quarterback that's a rushing threat Although, you know, it's still to be determined, I think, if Cam is the week one starter, they still have a move to make there potentially. Yeah, we got to discuss that as well. But the Patriots are suddenly set up on paper to be a completely unique offense and have spent a lot of money to achieve that. 
So I want to, there's two things we have to hit on here. First off, what I think the Patriots might do a quarterback. And then secondly, what the downside is to this entire thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the quarterback situation, I think because they've filled so many needs in free agency here, they're sitting at 15. They rarely sit at 15 and we're either going to see them sit pat and draft like a tackle one of the offensive tackles to kind of because Trent Brown's probably not on the roster in the future they're going to have this forward-looking approach just like they drafted Nate Solder a year early that so old school Patriots or they're going to get a QB they're going to get one of those top five and if you're in the Patriots building do you see like do you see a Trey Lance and say we have a cam-like skill set we've got speed he's a QB runner he's a, he's a really good runner unbelievable speed he's got some work to do as a passer we were, we we can we can redshirt him whatever it is, or do you see a Mac Jones? And you know I'll use my Orlovsky take here. If Tua thinks he's Tom Brady, and other people think he's Tom Brady, and you hear this, maybe somebody in the Patriots organization thinks, man, this guy, this is the closest thing we've seen to Tom Brady. Accurate, bad body, all that stuff. That's Tom Brady. Really bad. Body. Tom's got a good body now at forty three, but you know coming out, yeah. he didn't. I mean so. So first off, do you think they go make a, a move for a quarterback? I think at 15, they rarely pick this high. They are set up to go get somebody. Yeah. I, the, the one thing that this spending spree does is keep their ammunition to execute a trade intact. And that is whether the trade is in the draft to go up in the first round or whether the trade is trying to acquire Jimmy Garoppolo or somebody like that. They, they haven't had to remove any capacity to do that by signing all these players it also makes the environment a little more palatable for whatever quarterback is going to be coming in or cam newton if they're stuck with that for another year so i'm kind of on the fence just generally this notion of this volume of spending in a free agency period is typically bad now you have to caveat that with the fact that it's usually done by very bad teams who need a lot more help um so it's it's usually going to be bad because bad teams have bad process, have bad talent acquisition. The whole thing is a descending spiral. If you suck, you probably suck because you haven't been able to acquire talent well in the first place. So going on a giant talent acquisition spree is unlikely to fix it because you didn't address the, the root cause of the problem, which is your inability to identify talent. So it's sort of, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I don't know if the same thing is true with New England which is, well, okay, if, if the Patriots who have been good for 20-plus years go on a spending spree, is the same thing true? Like, do they have the same failings as everybody else that just bringing in this volume of talent at the same time is a bad, like, chemical makeup to a 53-man roster? Um, but it's almost like the necessary moves, too. Because- so this is the thing. Like, the flip side of that is the roster was not in good shape and had been heading in the wrong direction for a couple of years now, so they had to do something— And we've been preaching the idea of, look, free agency is where you address needs, leaving you free to just take the best players in the draft. So I'm I'm very much on the fence. I I do. Thank you. Welcome. But I do inherently think that spending this much is just bad. It's not a good situation. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a bit like Dallas, right? The the mistake you made was two years ago with the Zeke Elliott contract. At that point, there's no right. It's just which wrong decision, like which wrong pathway are you heading down more? The one where you take the quarterback and just eat the fact that you've got a bad roster composition because of the Zeke Elliott deal, or the one where you try and reverse everything and let the quarterback walk and fix the whole thing from the ground up. I think the Patriots are in a similar situation. The roster's bad, so there's no like, there's no correct fix. Do you spend a, sh- a ton of money and try and fix it like with just huge amounts of players coming in? 
or do you say we've wrecked this like let's destroy the whole thing let's bulldoze it let's start over from nothing and let's build this up the right way I don't know what I don't think either of those answers is good they went with the one that involves spending all the money we'll see how that works out yeah I mean I view it in a somewhat simple manner right (laughs) what you're looking for where your current roster is and where your edge is where your weakness is and all that stuff the edge the Patriots have right now is the cheap quarterback right so they either have Cam Newton in isolation making a five million dollar base that can get up to 13 million so let's say he's making 13 million they either have him in isolation or they have Cam Newton plus a rookie quarterback either way quarterback is cheap they haven't had that for a while don't also forget that last year they didn't know that they weren't going to have Tom Brady necessarily they paid Joe Tooney 14 million bucks they were cap strapped right and they kind of had to suck it up for a year and said okay this year we have more money Cam Newton if he's making 13 million dollars is making eight million dollars less than Teddy Bridgewater you know and you know he's he's in Ben Ro- Ben Roethlisberger's making 14 there are about 20 quarterbacks in the NFL making more than Cam Newton so the Patriots edge is this rookie quarterback concept right which is essentially Cam so they can just go crazy now where it comes back to bite them the cap numbers in 2022 are going to look egregious at this time next year Trent Brown starting tackle 15 million they can cut him and they're fine so they could save that but the guys that they just signed next year on the this year on the books they're fine they look yeah six million here eight million there next year's cap hits Nelson Aguilar fifteen Hunter Henry fifteen Matthew Judon sixteen five Jonu Smith thirteen point seven five Jalen Mills six point one Kyle Van Noy seven point four Devon Godshaw ten point two five Dietrich Wise six point two Kendrick Bourne five point seven Henry Anderson four point two. All of those guys that they just signed are making ridiculous money next year. So here's the the downside to this whole thing. The Patriots get two wins better, three wins better. They go 10 and 6. They're still probably not a Super Bowl caliber team this year unless they go on a run, obviously. So they go 9 and 7, 10 and 6. We're sitting here next offseason and you're looking at this roster and Aguilar had a nice year and Hunter Henry and Jonu had a nice year. But are they worth 15 million? for all of these guys when there's a new crop of free agents and there's a bigger cap and there's even more money to spend and every other team's getting better. That's the downside to this to these moves. They're better this year. Long-term, it might come back to bite. The other thing is we're going to, I think, get a good answer to the idea of how much of this mystique of New England being able to turn everybody else's trash into their treasure, how much of this actually still exists and that's how much a, of it ever existed. Really how much of it was just Tom Brady being Tom Brady and turning whatever you gave him into magic. Like, this is a very New England group of players that they brought in. Um, the money isn't very New England. Like, they've overpaid right. for a lot of these guys. But the, the players are very New England style of players. And if you were, you go back like five, ten years, you'd be like, oh, Henry Anderson's going to wind up being an absolute monster on the inside for this team. Like, disruptive playmaker. They're going to turn Jalen Mills into, you know, Patrick Chung just retired. They're going to replace him with Jalen Mills, turn him into a, a superstar. Kyle Van Noy can only play well in New England. He's going to be a monster again. Everybody they've added, you're like, yeah, this is perfect. Does that still exist? Or was did that ever exist? And was it just a product of Tom Brady making everything around him look better? As much as, like, I think everybody is still giving the Patriots a ton of benefit of the doubt. And the longer the departure between Tom Brady and the Patriots goes, the less I think they're deserving of that benefit of the doubt. And that, it's going to be really interesting to see 
if they do manage to turn or how much what percentage of this group yeah. they manage to turn into the sort of traditional Patriots superstar out of nowhere type thing. A lot of hybrid players. I mean, I still think they're going to they're going to get better. I think they're all going to get better. My here's my question. What if Tom Brady was the quarterback of this roster? Yeah. Super Bowl contender or I mean, I think I think we'd look and say, "Wow, he's got these couple tight ends to throw to. They finally have some receivers. We'll see what happens with Edelman if he can It would still be run. his best roster in New England since 2017." Yeah. It absolutely would be. So, yeah, fascinating to see the way – I think there's short-term gain in long-term question marks. So that's me right in the middle hedging for what the Patriots have done. But I think that's, I think that's the take, fellas. That's it. All right, let's get through – we have all of the AFC to get through, but obviously not as many teams were that active or as active as the Patriots. Let's go to the Jets because there's news. Okay, what happened with the Jets here? The Jets are apparently interested in Juju Smith-Schuster. They're in the market for another receiver, having already added Corey Davis to this group. Denzel Mims a year ago in the draft. That would get pretty interesting. I don't love it. Why not? I, I, I look at Corey Davis, all Corey J- Davis jokes aside, I, I completely understand what he is. And saying a guy is a number two. Future Hall of Famer? I mean, he's pro- with Zach Wilson, he probably will be now. Of course, yeah. Don't forget, I mean, Jerry Rice played with three teams. Seahawks legend. did. Right, Randy Four. Moss, fourteen. Who else was he? Broncos, right? Right at the death. Rice, yeah. I'm not imagining that, right? Jerry I don't Rice. Know. Randy Moss, 49ers legend. You know, he had to bounce around a little bit. Yeah, but all those teams came in like the last six months of his career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Um, so they? I, when I looked at this free agent board and I looked at projected salaries for receivers, we had Corey Davis and Juju Smith-Schuster just inside our top 30 in the initial free agent. Ah, board. I didn't imagine it. He did play for Denver, right at the death. Broncos, Seahawks legend, Jerry Rice. I looked at Corey Davis and Juju Smith-Schuster and said, okay, I like they're, they're good receivers for what they are. I don't want to be the team paying them. Their projected salary was up at $13, 14000000 million from Brad. But Corey and Davis was reasonably cheap. Davis was cheaper than maybe expected, and the wide receiver market hasn't been great. I don't know that I want to be the team paying both of them, though, both Corey Davis and Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, they need each other. They need other complementary pieces. Um, and I don't know if I'm just being too skewed by the fact that Juju quite literally had Antonio Brown, who was a top three receiver at the time and was awesome, and Juju benefited from that. And Corey Davis had A.J. Brown, A.J. Brown, top three caliber type of receiver who he benefited from, and I can't just see beyond that. But I don't have evidence that Corey Davis or Juju is worth $10 million plus per year. And I don't have evidence, and I certainly don't think just putting them together – you know, give, it gives you like wide receiver 1.5. So I mean, that's that's where I have some issues. Davis was last year, right? Now, okay, you can was, debate yeah. how much of that was was how much of that was a product of AJ Brown and play action driven <laughs> scheme. He had a, he was just the sure, guy but just he was open on a bunch like, of over routes. Like, but Corey Davis' skill set, he runs the vertical route tree really well. Gets, but he's he's not dynamic after the catch, and he's not a great downfield receiver, right? He's so he's a short. He's a short intermediate threat, gets open decent at that level, but there are limitations there. He's not a deep threat, and he's not an after-the-catch threat. So that, by definition, is like, you're a complementary piece. We need, we, we need somebody opposite him who either is a deep threat or is really good after the catch. So Jamison Crowder kind of fits that, but like Juju, I would describe him the same way as Corey Davis. Yeah. Short intermediate threat who's not scaring defenses. True. It, so if you had a receiving core... Because I think this would be at the cost of Jamison Crowder. 
Like if you brought yeah, in, you'd have to be out. If you brought in Juju, it would be Corey Davis, Juju, and Denzel Mims would be your trio. Uh, Jamison Crowder would be getting released on the basis that his contract is pretty pretty sizable for a guy of uh, his caliber and, and ability, stature. That too. Um, I don't think that's a bad receiving core, but it does, to your point, put a lot of pressure on Denzel Mims to be the guy that the others aren't. So. Juju and Corey Davis are stylistically quite similar in terms of how they win, which would leave Denzel Mims being the guy that wins another way. And to his credit, he's got the ability to do that. He's got speed. He's got the skills to work on the, uh, the vertical game and be a threat deep down the field. He's got dynamic run after the catch ability, but we haven't really seen it yet because he's been buried on a terrible offense with Sam Darnold as his quarterback. So I don't hate it. I, on paper, I think that's a nice trio. And if you're amassing weapons for presumptive new quarterback please don't let them run it back with sam donald if you're like if you're building this thing to plug a zach wilson or whoever into i think that's quite a nice looking trio yeah it's look it's not bad it's just if those guys were all on rookie contracts Corey davis and juju smith schuster i would like it right you know but i feel like they're at a point in their career where i know what they are they're both gonna be making over 10 million right do it assuming juju's gonna be up in that 10 or 11 range maybe they get him a little bit on the cheap they're not going to get worse at receiver. But if that trio... It, same thing I'm going to say about the Patriots. A year from now, you're going to be like, the Jets' offense got incrementally better from a pass game standpoint. They still need more, and they have a lot of money tied up in Juju and Corey Davis. Think of Mims, though, like the, the rookie contract quarterback. Like, if that trio is, is on the books for, like, $22 million a year, that's not bad. Yeah, I guess. That's right? Fine. So, okay, it's like sometimes you can offset what is not a bad contract, but an expensive contract or a luxury deal with something dramatically cheaper and just look at it as a net totality and think, yeah, it's actually not bad. Okay, maybe that's more in isolation than you would want to pay Corey Davis. But if you end up with Corey Davis, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Denzel Mims as your starting trio, on paper it looks pretty good. And if they come in at like $22, $23 million a year for the three of them, that's not bad. No, I get it. Yeah, that's that's not bad. I guess I'm still looking for that really shiny object, but they're coming from such a position of weakness. Yeah, and I also receiver. I like the and I also you can still draft one, right? But I also like yeah. the capacity of saying, look, finding a true elite number one X receiver is not that easy. If we get a bunch of guys that can all win, that's as good. That's as good as you're going to do. I think that's a good starting point. And then if one of those guys falls into our lap, jackpot. But I don't think you should necessarily say, look, this team desperately needs a number one, so that's all we're focused on. Like, just get yourself three or four good receivers that can all win and then figure out how to deploy them. Yeah, overall, I mean, I like, I like what the Jets are doing. So if they add Juju and Corey Davis, okay, you've got a couple receivers there. That certainly has improved. You bring Marcus May back. Carl Lawson, we mentioned on the Daily today, was one of our uh, – we, we, we mentioned that we liked what the Jets did, Carl Lawson being a part of that. The Jets have not had an edge defender grade above 80 as a pass rusher in PFF history since 2006. So Carl Lawson primed to be that guy. It's a huge need in their system that relies on a four-man rush. So, yeah, I like a lot of what the Jets have done. Jared Davis for one year up to $7 million. Yes. We don't know. Still could be just That was a great example, by the way, of people, like, giving the positive agent spin. Jared Davis been used badly by the Lions. The league believes in him. They're going to put him in a different role, and you're going to get a great player. Come on. Stop it's it. It's really absurd. It's really absurd. Just report the news, man. 
Right. Just why, why, why do you need to editorialize? I, I, I don't know why I'm asking that. It's rhetorical. I know why you need to do it because those are the guys that are feeding you the information. So the quid pro quo is you post the pleasant thing about my player that I'm giving you and I will give you the information about my player to put out there into the world in the first place. But it does get kind of tired when you're reading this crap and it's like, <laughs> come on. It's Jared Davis. We've all seen him play. Uh, let's wrap it up with the Jets. Next steps for them, though. I think if they do sign Juju. So like if they didn't sign Juju, I don't know if the receiver market's good in the second half of the first round. So probably wouldn't be the play there. But yeah. tackle could be in play there to get a starting right tackle opposite Makai backed in. There's going to be starters there. So I could see them going Zach Wilson at two, tackle in the 20s. Cornerback is still a massive need yeah. in, a, in a whole new system with Salah. I mean, that's going to be – they might go three corners in the draft that they need you know, that they need to look at or some bargain, ba- bargain basement free agents. That They're a team that – should definitely not be done yet in terms of free agency. Like, they still have work to do. Uh, they still have money to spend. They should be active over this next week of sort of second wave of free agency and get some real bargains. And, and you look, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the Patriots signed 15 players. They're the winners. But the teams like the Jets, who we mentioned on the daily, teams like the Seahawks, who we mentioned shot. on the daily, it's $6 million here, $8 million there, $13 million here, whatever. But it's just Carl Lawson, Corey Davis, a shot on Jared Davis and, and Juju. It's a few moves that were opportunistic, that all fit needs. I like it. I like where the Jets are. Mm-hmm. Has Miami done anything? Yes, not. Where's Miami? Anything dramatic, but they've made a few moves. Kyle Van Noy is out. They did yep. trade Shaq Lawson for Benardrick McKinney. Now, B- Benardrick McKinney has been one of the, until last year before, before he got hurt, has been one of the better run-stopping run in, uh, inside linebackers. That was a huge need for Miami. They give up Shaq Lawson, who's not a dynamic pass rusher or anything like that. So I, I like that move. And uh, they signed Jacoby Brissett as a backup. I think Brissett has settled in as high-end backup. That's, that's yep. what he is. Uh, signed Adam Butler. You got to get – and, and Justin Coleman. You got So that's three former Patriots as I talk it out. New England South. Wow. But they um, got rid of Kyle Van Noy, so that – Butler is a nice pick, pickup. Um, Coleman is confusing to me. Uh, I don't understand – why Justin Coleman would want to be in this scheme. Um, In his career, he's been reasonably bad in New England, very good in Seattle, and then atrocious in Detroit. Now, New England and Detroit run variants of the same defensive scheme. Miami runs a variant of that same defensive scheme. If I was Justin Coleman, I would want to play anywhere other than that defensive tree. Anywhere. And yet, he signed on voluntarily to go to Miami. Um, now, it's a one-year, $2.75 million deal, which might suggest that he didn't have many alternatives. But that in and of itself is kind of surprising to me because the play that he had for two years in Seattle was really good and encouraging. And like there was a period where we were talking about him as the best slot cornerback in the NFL. I, I, I just I don't get that signing for pretty much anybody concerned. Uh, is that a, a bit of a knock on Noah Igbenogany? first round pick I mean, last year can't be an endorsement right because outside you've got Xavier Howard and Byron Jones Igbenogany looked like the perfect complement there good man coverage skills slot corner 37 grade as a rookie yeah Justin Coleman yes coming into a similar scheme they're just hedging a little bit on Igbenogany and his development yeah I mean I I don't hate the Dolphins bringing in another player that can as you say, hedge and provide an insurance plan at slot corner. I don't know if that's the one I would have picked given his history within that scheme. And for him, as I say, I don't understand why he would want to go to that scheme either. Igbenogany 
got lit on fire earlier in the season, but he got thrust into like starting action because everybody was injured and was getting like roasted alive by Stephon Diggs like a couple of weeks into his NFL career. That dude just got thrown into the fire and I don't think he was even supposed to be playing much year one. And in like last year, all the rookie cornerbacks were toasted. You've got to assume he's going to be better, but it's tough to know what to do with any of those rookie players because like... um, Such a weird year. The Jeffrey Akuda, like Jeffrey Akuda was as bad as any cornerback in the NFL, but was one of the cleanest prospects we've seen coming into the league. What do you do with that going into year two? Now the Lions have some room because, hey, we've changed scheme and we expect everybody to be better. But a lot of teams that had high round rookie cornerbacks last year are in a tough spot relying on those guys going into year two where you expect them to be good. Uh, Dolphins going one year, 2.75 million for Justin Coleman. I'm okay with it. It's fine. Just I'm keep, yeah. Keep I, taking shots. I'm okay him. with it for them. I just it seems a curious player to want to bring in given his experience within that scheme. Like I get that he's familiar with it, but the film the familiarity is bad. He hasn't played well in that scheme and has been dramatically better in other schemes. So it's cheap. I understand it, but I it's it is not a move that makes sense to me. Quick break to tell you about our friends over at Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything. There's always a catch. So when I first heard about Mint Mobile offering premium wireless service at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch, Sam? But after speaking to them and using their service, it all made sense. I know you guys have used it over in the Monson household. There isn't a catch at all. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. How's that going for you guys? It's going good. I mean, it's it's the same phone service as you would use anywhere else, only it's a hell of a lot cheaper. I mean, that's the bottom line. They don't waste money on all the other crap that everybody else is using. They're just cheaper mobile service, and it's exactly the same. Therefore, so it's great. It's great. For people looking for extra savings, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, Go to mintmobile.com slash PFF. That's mintmobile.com slash PFF. Cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash PFF. Let's go to the Buffalo Bills, staying in the east here. Well, hang on. You, you forgot to mention that the uh, Miami Dolphins acquired a first-round talented tackle. Traded for Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson. A 2021 seventh-rounder. <laughs> As bad as Isaiah Wilson's three QB kneel-down snaps were mm. in Tennessee. Don't forget there was a fourth, like a, was it a fake punt or something? He was in there for something else. I like to think that he, um, they acquired a third-round talent, which is what he was. Okay. A third-round talent for a throwaway seventh-round pick. Yes. I do, yeah. Well Ro- worth it. Rolling the dice it. is fun. <laughs> I do like the comedy, though, of a guy that was partying himself out of the league in Nashville going to South Beach. That'll work out well. Look, he's learned. You think? He's learned his lesson. Yeah? In the, in he's on the year. straight and narrow now? We're good? Sure hope so. Isaiah Wilson. He was overdrafted anyway, just from a talent standpoint. All right, let's get to the, the Buffalo Bills. I think the unexciting status quo. Look, it's tough. It's tough to maintain a good roster. But I think where they lost, they also gained, right? So they cut John Brown. They bring in Emmanuel Sanders. You're not getting the same speed or dynamic downfield threat. You're getting a really good route runner. Sanders is still one of the best in the league at getting open against single coverage. They kept Daryl Williams at right tackle. That was huge. Now they they keep together one of the best tackle tandems in the league in Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams. 
And they keep Matt Milano. He is a very good complement to Tremaine Edmonds, covers backs well out of the backfield. So you have that. I think just roster maintenance, they re-signed John Feliciano. Yeah. You know, that's okay. It, it gives them some flexibility in the draft so they don't have to force a guard at the end of the first round like some people were talking about. I think overall it's just treading water for the Bills, which is fine given where the roster is. Yes, they their business was maintaining what they had um, and making sure they didn't lose a dramatic amount of the roster that was so good this year. Resigning Milano, resigning Daryl Williams, who is, a, I think, a player that's probably underrated. He has a lot of bad on his resume, but almost all of it comes with positions other than right tackle. When he's played right tackle for a whole season, he's been good for two straight for two years. Um, and so I think signing him, re-signing him, making him your right tackle is good business. And then uh, re-signing John Feliciano, making sure that your offensive line stays intact and that one of your defensive leaders is there. I think that was all great. The You made a point yesterday that I think was interesting and is borne out by a lot of teams that NFL teams hate injuries. They hate players that get injured. Yeah. Um, and even if it's not even if it's not their fault or indicative of any kind of there are injury prone players right yep and it's a sad reality of the world that some guys are just more brittle than others and they're going to break and it's there's nothing you can do about it and it, you are probably wise to steer away from as many of those players as humanly possible because you're going to get burned that being said there are also players that just get hurt and it's a fluke and it happens and then those guys get healthy and you move on but it seems that the NFL like takes it personally. And when you get those guys, they are always looking to move on from them as quick as humanly possible. So John Brown got cut and replaced by Emmanuel Sanders. I don't think that's a positive move. I think it's not bad mitigation of a loss. Like bringing in Emmanuel Sanders, having lost John Brown, I think is good. But if that was like the conscious decision, hey, we can get rid of this guy, bring in this guy, and we're good, I think it's a step back. John Brown did bring something unique to that offense that I don't think they ever were good at replacing. When he wasn't in the lineup, they didn't just plug in Gabriel Davis and not skip a beat. They didn't just ask Stephon Diggs to run more of the John Brown routes. They were missing something from that offense. It wasn't ever quite as dangerous as when they had John Brown in the lineup. So to voluntarily move him on, potentially because he missed some time injured, I just think is a questionable move. So the, on the other end of the spectrum is the Raiders pick him up on the cheap. Yeah. And if you look at the Raiders, they go from Nelson Aguilar, who signed the massive contract that we just said, two years, 22 million split over two years, right? And they get a one-year flyer on John Brown to essentially replace Aguilar. So yeah, maybe there's some injury risks, say, that Buffalo, and, and money for Buffalo as well. But that's a great move for the Raiders. And that's if you're going to... If you're going to call the Patriots losers, going back to them a little bit, you would just find what comparable players made on the market. So you could look at the Patriots move and say, why are you going to pay Nelson Aguilar when John Brown made a quarter of that? Why are you going to pay Matthew Judon when, say, a Hassan Reddick made, you know, was one year six million? And it's not always apples to apples, but it's where's the market for all these various players and the Patriots may be overpaying for a whole bunch of players. Yes, you lock them in, but you overpaid for a whole bunch of players when there's the old Patriots would get this guy for a year and this guy for two and this guy for six million. And, and it's, you know, it's, that's the part of the Patriots stuff that's, that's different. I also think that their general trend of overpaying for players is indicative of how much of 
the old Patriot way was Tom Brady. Like, people used to go to New England on a fairly cut price deal to chase a Super Bowl ring. That isn't a thing anymore. You go to Tampa Bay to chase a Super Bowl ring. Tampa Bay had to retain half a dozen players this offseason and retain them all easily. Because they, they wanted to run it back. Because they want to run it back and get another Super Bowl ring with Tom Brady as their quarterback wasn't a problem. That used to be the draw for New England every single offseason. You used to be able to get players that other teams couldn't attract for a cheap deal because they knew that you could chase a Super Bowl ring. They don't have that luxury anymore, so they actually have to pay for them. And they might have to overpay for them because they don't have an obvious answer at quarterback. Uh, let's go to the AFC North here. Baltimore Ravens, a team that we've mentioned on a few different shows here. It's similar, right? Just it's similar to the Jets, but for less money, I would say. Just under the radar yep. moves to fill a few needs. Kevin Zeitler gets released by the Giants. Um, the other, the other, and the Ravens pick him up. The Ravens have been one of the most astute teams when it comes to compensatory picks. This is one of those moves when you sign a guy that's been released and isn't a free agent, isn't going to go against your compensatory pick formula. So that's a guy, sure, you pay him pay him whatever, right? And, it, and it's not going to hurt you as far as getting those extra draft picks. They're very astute there. So Zeitler helps an offensive line that needed uh, interior offensive line help. And then uh, Derek Wolf gets re-signed. Mm. Yeah, Derek. And then here's, here's the move I like. Tyus Bowser, guy they drafted a couple years ago, second round. Maybe he hasn't been as big, you know, made as big of an impact as uh, you would like from a second round pick. But for a Matthew Judon replacement, a guy that if we talked about Matthew Judon getting schemed up pressures, Tyus Bowser, pretty athletic guy that can also take advantage of those schemed up pressures, drops into coverage pretty well. He's dropped into coverage 86 times two years ago, 155 times last year. Ravens type of player and if we're talking about Judon making a ridiculous amount of money and Bowser comes in at 5.5 million per year on a four-year deal that's great that's good business right there too just continue to cycle through these young edge rushers yep agreed um I would like to make a point on the Derek Wolf thing so we tweeted out you know tell Derek, the tell the people what's happening I am I'm, I'm, I'm explaining it Steve we the PFF account tweeted out something like uh Derek Wolf resigned or yeah, resigned, uh, had a PFF grade of 68.2 last year, ranked 39th amongst interior defensive linemen. Now, Derek Wolf is one of those players that's always had a bug up his ass about PFF for years. Randomly, like five years ago, he, <laughs> he suggested that we took like cash for grades. Uh, and, you know, he's one of those players that generally the people that have a real problem with PFF are the ones that aren't grading great at the time. And at the time, Derek Wolf wasn't grading that great. Um, so anyway, 39th. Now, the first point to make is that's not a bad place to be. You know, there's 64 on average starting defensive interior linemen at any one Probably time. Probably 100 guys that qualify. Yeah, and in fact, more than that, right? Because yeah. you still got some teams that, whatever. Anyway, there's a lot of those guys, right? Being 39th in the league at that position is not a bad place to be. But evidently, Derek Wolf thinks he's better than that. So he was bitching, replied to the main account that, oh, you know, stick to, don't do me a favor and don't grade my games. for now. The only grade that matters to me is my coach's grade, Right. I would make the point that Derek Wolf uh, was the 39th graded interior defensive lineman, just re-signed a contract with Baltimore that makes him the 40-something best paid interior defensive lineman in terms of average per year, right? Which is what NFL players use to compare themselves. It's why Trent Williams is getting paid 10000 a year more than David Bakhtiari on average because 
They just want to be one up, which so which which in reality has him lower than thirty ninth because yes. you have a bunch of guys on rookie contracts. Correct, can't make that much money. Yes, which means that the only grades that he cares about, his individual coaches, apparently value him about the same, if not a little bit less than we do, which is still a nice place to be. But shut the hell up, is my point. Seconded. Thank you. Anyway, next Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC North. I I. The Trey Hendrickson deal. So they replace um, Carl Lawson with Trey Hendrickson. Yeah. The deal isn't – they're not that locked into him though, right? Yeah, it's it's structurally <laughs> – so the Bengals' free agency is often about what's the cheapest way of doing this, which is fine, I guess. But it feels like at some point you need to spend some money. And not just like overall, you know, like the total dollar figures that are often reported, but like – Structure it in the same way as other people. Like give the guys the big money year one because you're going to get a greater a, amount of player. You're going to get more player for your money if you structure it in a way that, that benefits them. If you're confident in your evaluation, why not do that? They still appear to be trying to just sort of cheap this thing out and, and yeah. not have to pay cash yeah. up front. I'm just saying it's, it's reported as a four-year $60 million deal. It's $16 million fully guaranteed. It's not a bad hedge for a guy where we called we called Trey Hendrickson overrated overall yeah. because of the sack totals and all that stuff. He had a seventy-seven pass rush grade last year, which is still very good. This is that is Shaq Barrett territory. Like yeah. Shaq Barrett has been in that high seventies, low eighties pass rush grade territory. The problem with Hendrickson is he'd only done it for one year. If you get another year of that out of Hendrickson, and he lands at eight sacks or nine sacks or five sacks, whatever it is, but it's a seventy-seven pass rush grade, that's still pretty good. So I don't hate it as bad as it looked on paper. And I thought there were two moves in the secondary, Chidabe Awuzie and Mike Hilton. They essentially paid the same money for those two that they would pay for, say, one William Jackson, which I think in theory is good business. Awuzie has the, like the, the classic number three starting pitcher, Sam, just your league average corner. And Mike Hilton has been one of the better slot corners. I like Hilton. I think that's a really good pickup. Um, the Trey Hendrickson point, right? Just don't judge him by sacks. If you're looking, he, like only T.J. Watt had more sacks amongst edge rushers last season. So if you're looking at him saying, oh, this guy had whatever it was, 14 sacks, he's going to be amazing, he's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, you are wrong. He had 14 sacks, second in the NFL amongst edge rushers in sacks, 21st in terms of total pressures. So that's, again, 21st is good. It's a good place to be, particularly when, like, there were players that had more pass rushing opportunities than Trey Hendrickson. Yeah. Um, now, he doesn't move much higher when you look at it on a per-snap basis. But the, the point is, that's where you need to think of him as. Just look at pressures, PFF grade. They put him in the same kind of ballpark. He's good, not great. He's in that Shaq Barrett territory. Now, you can look at it and say, there's potential for him to be better. Maybe he'll become a Shaq Barrett where he takes a step forward with an increased role. But just don't give me the sack number and be like, he's one of the best in the NFL. Because he isn't. He's good, not great. Um, but the, the Trey Hendrickson move is interesting because, one, you can look at it and say, well, he's overpaid because somebody's gone after the sack totals. But two, when you look at the structure of the deal, it, it isn't the fact that he's overpaid. It's actually that they kind of cheaped out to take a Trey Hendrickson when you could have just retained a Carl Lawson for potentially a bit more money, but he's a better pass rusher, even if the sacks don't say it. So the whole thing, again, feels like Cincinnati just looked at this and said, What's the cheapest way of getting a half-decent pass rusher? It's Trey Hendrickson. Let's go. And I just, at some point, have stronger ambition than that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Lawson would have been a better fit for them. Um, I'm intrigued to see what Hendrickson does. 
because again, we liked him come out of college. He did have this peak year last year. We'll see if he can keep it going. Awuzie and Hilton should make them better in the secondary. Awuzie has been up and down in his career, though. So, you know, he's a better zone player than man. So if they protect him a little bit in more zone concepts, he's not bad. They're about fit, you know, they're about in the middle of the pack. Man zone splits in Cincinnati, so it's okay. Not also a- uh, Larry Ogunjobi. In Larry Ogunjobi, there too, one year deal. He's chasing that one year that he had right at the start of his career yeah he's just gone in reverse man he looked like a really good run defender early in his career that's gotten worse every year his pass rush grades have stayed pretty static you've got him and dj reader now on the on the interior a couple of guys that they have signed over the last couple of years so um there's a lot of what ifs i think on that bengals team uh reminds me of the raiders a little bit last year uh the last couple of years rebuilding their defense with some veterans and the bengals they need these guys to hit pretty much uh cleveland browns another team that's done as I'm looking at the PFF free agency tracker, they've done four things. And I think they all, they're all good moves. I mean, other, you know, they cut Adrian Claiborne. I'm not saying that's a good move. Um, cut him. Adrian Claiborne. They signed John Johnson, one of the top safeties on the market. That was where they decided to spend their money. I think that was the right play. Yes. The trickle-down effect to the that's rest of, of the that secondary. Free agency. Yeah. <laughs> the trickle-down effect with Ronnie Harrison in the secondary, with Grant Delpit. So much more flexibility back there now. I still think there's a, a, a another corner to target out there because just as Greedy Williams insurance uh, and Denzel Ward insurance too. We talk about Denzel Ward injury stuff. So continue to get more corners, but Johnson adds some range and some box playing ability back there too. That's one of the best moves in the entirety of free agency. Um, we talked on our preview that there's a ton of really good safeties hitting the market even after the franchise tag was used fairly liberally on them. Um, what was that going to do to the market? Did it was it going to depress them, make them all uh, cheaper than they would ordinarily be? Turns out the market overall, I think, has been depressed because of this salary cap crunch. <clears throat> so the fact that there is less money to go around, combined with the fact that there's a ton of availability for high-level safeties, means people are signing these guys for really not much money. And you know, when you compare the top end of the market, the Buda Baker kind of contracts to John Johnson signing for three years, $33.75 million. Um, it's a freaking bargain. Like, he's one of the best safeties in the NFL. Every single year of his career that he's been healthy, he's got a PFF coverage grade above 80. That's really hard to really do. Really good, yeah. Um, I think that's a, just a phenomenal move and a great fit for that defense. And then high upside type of plays. Takaris McKinley, one year, $4 million. You know, sometimes you get that former first round stigma. So you either get the stigma and people don't want you, or you get the, well, I'm going to find the best out of Vic Beasley for $10 million a year or whatever it is. Taking Takaris McKinley, who's pretty much had a consistent 65 pass rush grade every single year, you just kind of know what you're going to get. For $4 million, that's fine. That directly replaces Adrian Claiborne. And then Rashard Higgins, man, one year, $2.38 million to be your third wide receiver. Let's go. I mean, look, Higgins has been extremely productive. And again, comparing it to the Aguilar deal in New England, they're – Last year, look at their production, man. It's similar. Similar production. Aguilar was better. Similar production, though. Now you're getting that at a fraction of the cost. This is this is good roster management by the Browns. Agreed. Yeah, I think this is smart business um, across the board. I, that's a good set of moves. Again, they haven't done a ton, but this has been a really nice start. All right, quick break to tell you about our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. This is an incredible deal here because if you like fantasy football and you like playing fantasy For money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team just like you normally do, but that's it. 
There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Now here is the catch, Sam. The catch is this is un- an unbelievable deal because you go to Underdog Fantasy and you deposit 10 bucks using the promo code PFF. That's right, just 10 bucks promo code PFF. And I can't believe we're doing this, but you get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. Promo code is PFF. You get 365 days of access to PFF Edge, which includes the red-hot PFF draft guide right now, and it's only 10 bucks over at Underdog Fantasy. Go draft right now. Underdog Fantasy, promo code PFF. We got one more team in the AFC North here. Pittsburgh Steelers. It's hard to get excited about where the Steelers roster is going, Sam. Yes, yeah. felt inevitable it was difficult to keep everybody they had some cap issues but we're seeing the offensive line just has massive question marks now yep you lose a juju so you still kind of feel like you need more presumably playmakers presumably Villanueva presumably you lose Bud Dupree Bud Dupree definitely replace him with Alex Highsmith I think it's essentially the Steelers need the youth they, they need young guys to step up Zach Banner to step up, who they signed to, yeah. to to play starting right tackle, presumably. Still have a question mark at center and left tackle in Pittsburgh. And still with Banner at right. He's played okay when, when he's been out there. have a question mark at every spot instead of right guard, except right guard. Yeah. And Kevin Dotson played well, limited time. They need the youth to step up. And Steelers fans are still banging the drum for like a first-round running back, but that's a whole separate story. Oh, the running back's not fixing this situation, so... No. Thoughts on the Steelers? Uh, I mean, they've basically done nothing. They re-signed Ray, Ma- Ray, Ray, Ray McLeod and Zach Banner, which are two small pieces of a roster that was that is in decline and needs fixing. Um, you know, it's, it's still early. Like, free agency opened yesterday, for real. Okay, it's been, like, legal tampering for a couple of days before that. But there is still time for them to do things and make additions to this roster that are pretty necessary. You would expect Bud Dupree being replaced with Alex Highsmith. I think that's actually an okay move. They're, they're, they're going to be fine there. The offensive line is a major question mark, particularly when Ben Roethlisberger is still your quarterback and didn't play well. Like Ben Roethlisberger is heading in the wrong direction. If ever you needed an offensive line to be at the peak of its powers, it would be heading into this year with your quarterback on the decline. But actually it seems like that's going south as well. And I the defense is too talented for this team to just completely collapse. But there are some worrying signs that like that is a possibility that could certainly be on the table unless they have a really good draft. Yeah, I mean, that's there's, there's 10 to 15 teams in the league where you say, okay, they're really dependent on the draft. And the Steelers are absolutely one of them. Which they, is not a good place to be. No. Conceptually. Yeah, and you know, again, Mike Renner, two for one drafts. They picked 24th. Right. And Mike Renner from two for one drafts makes this point all the time. Like you, not only, I've made this point for years too. You don't go into the draft with needs, but it's just the concept of like, man, we really need contributions from four draft picks this year. They're in a not, very, not just needs, but like legitimate contributions. That's a tough place to be in. If you get it, great. It's a very similar spot to the Vikings last year, where it's like you need a two or three starters to come out of this draft and be good. Yeah. And they got they got all pro play out of Justin Jefferson, and they still didn't bat over 500 on that. Like, you got Justin Jefferson, you were starting um, Jeff Gladney, you were starting 
Cameron Dantzler. Dantzler played well down the stretch. But those you needed those three players and more, to be honest. But you needed those three players to come in and be really good right away just to tread water over what you had the season before. That's kind of the situation the Steelers are in. They're going to need two or three draft picks to come in and play well in year one just to keep their head above the water. And that is just such a small target to be trying to hit. Yeah, I've heard people, Big Ben restructured. He's worth about $14 million this year. I mean, I think I've heard people criticize that. Like, oh, you can't roll it back with him. Fine. But I think if, if you're going to give it one more shot, you're going to hear me say this 900 times before the, before the start of the season. Let him, let him go. I mean, if he let him chuck it down the field, and you you have to play high variance football, I think, because they played low variance football last year, trusted their defense, and they got to a fake eleven and zero or whatever it was, and then fell apart. Back to reality, they need to play a high variance game and just hope they hit lightning in a bottle. They either go six and ten, or you stumble into ten and six and maybe make it to the playoffs. I feel like that's how the Steelers have to approach this year. Team football teams don't necessarily do that. But I think that's where they are from a roster standpoint. I mean, if Roethlisberger wasn't going to retire, they didn't have much of a choice in terms of what they were going to do. They needed to yeah. restructure and free up some cap space just to get under the cap. Um, they're just they're stuck with that. Like, Roethlisberger is their quarterback. They don't really have an alternative. Um, they just need to f- desperately hope that they get high-end play from a couple of sources. All right, let's go AFC South. It seems like we love you guys, all of our listeners. It seems like you guys like when we go team by team. You guys really enjoyed our fixing every team in five minutes series so that's why we're ish. trying to give every team yes ish every team some love the jaguars have done a lot of stuff uh some i like some i don't necessarily love but they've brought in a whole bunch of players this was a team we expected to spend a lot of money um what do you think about the jags as a whole from a free agency standpoint so far as you said it's a mixed bag of signings um i does it st- does it speak to you with a coherent strategy or does it just say we didn't have a great roster let's just start throwing things at it and see what sticks the thing i struggle with with that is we just have we have a different perspective of players right because every team evaluates players differently i imagine in the jaguars building there's a list of 100 moves that they've made starting with placing the franchise tag on cam robinson i imagine in their building they're like, okay, we placed the franchise tag on Cam Robinson. He's a starting tackle. We retained a starting. We re- retained a starter, right? Yes. They signed three interior defensive linemen or traded for one as well. We like that move because it's like, all right, there's three half-decent players. Roy Robertson-Harris, uh, Tyson Alu-Alu returns to Jacksonville, and they trade for Malcolm Brown. Brown's an excellent run defender, as is Alu-Alu. Robertson-Harris has shown flashes. He's size and upside guy. Okay, so from our perspective, we like that. I imagine the Jaguars like every last one of these moves. Dwayne Smoot, backup edge defender, but two years up to $14 million, maybe too much. Philip Dorsett, high upside, deep threat, great. Carlos Hyde, why? Don't even need that. So our perspective is good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. That would be my take. Rayshon Jenkins is the big, the big question for me. The safety coming from the Chargers who's just been you know, an okay player making four years, uh, $35 million over four years. Over the last two years, would you like to know who has given up the second most total pressures in the NFL amongst tackles? Is it Cam Robinson? It is. Would you like to know who's given up the most pressures among tackles? It's not Jawan Taylor, is it? It is Jawan Taylor. Jaguars starting yes. right tackle. So the Jaguars starting tackles, one of whom they went out of their way to retain, have collectively given up the most pressures in the NFL. 85 for Cam Robinson, 99 for Jawan Taylor. Let me give you the 
the analytical argument for Cam Robinson. Do it because I'm actually I'm I'm interested. In the this football one. argument for Cam Robinson is he hasn't been healthy since 2014, guys. You know he's once he's healthy he'll be fine. That's healthy what, or good. That's what the people which tell is me. Quite a critical part of that as well. That's what the people tell me. He hasn't right. been healthy since 2014. Okay. He's got traits. He's or 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 people think he's actually been good. Here's the reality of Cam Robinson. He has been a below-average pass blocker, a below-average run blocker. He has one of the highest percentages of negatively graded plays in the run game in the league. You mentioned all the pressures he surrendered. Cam Robinson has been not good. The analytical move for bringing him back, at least on a one-year deal, is comparing him to other tackles with a similar profile. This is where my my friend PFFIQ comes in, and I can compare him. There's two guys that come to mind. Eric Fisher of the Chiefs, four years of meh, and then he became a league-average tackle. And then Donovan Smith, I think, is the closest proxy for Cam Robinson over the last few years. So I compared Cam Robinson and Donovan Smith in their la- in their in years three and four, and I stacked them up side by side, and I said, "Okay, where do they rank?" Uh, Cam Robinson, 29th percentile pass blocking grade. Donovan Smith, 32nd, almost identical. Uh, pass blocking grade with no play action 27th versus 34th almost identical the one place they were different donovan smith was really good and pass blocking grade on true pass sets which is the best indicator of pass blocking prowess donovan smith was actually about middle of the pack cam robinson is 20th percentile they were also both among the worst run blockers as far as avoiding negatively graded plays which is the most stable tackle metric so the point is donovan smith since that point has gotten better He's become pretty much a league average type of tackle. You mentioned to me the other day, when it's bad, it's ugly. Cam has some of that too. So the argument for him is there's a history of a few guys around the league with three or four years of experience who go from below average to average in year four or five. And again, I don't like I don't know that these conversations are really being had mm. in NFL front offices. They should be. This is the type of conversation where it's not like, oh, I got a big, tall guy with long arms and good traits. That's not why you re-sign Cam Robinson. You re-sign him because guys with a history of a little bit of below-average play can take a next step in year five, and doing it with a one-year contract is okay. Now, overall, I don't know if I want to incur that risk, and I would perhaps perhaps mitigate that by drafting another tackle, maybe with my second first-round pick. Does that Certainly, make sense? Yes. Certainly the argument they put out publicly was just that they think Cam Robinson is better than you do. We do. Everybody does. Um, They made the same kind of argument that the Bengals made about Bobby Hart, who, by the way, ranks third on that list of the most pressures given up over the last two years. And he's missed some time. (laughs) Yes. Bobby Hart, who we were reliably informed by the Bengals, plays really hard. He's good. He's, I watched all of his tape, and it was actually really quite good. We're fine with Bobby Hart as our starting right tackle. Bobby Hart is a bad right tackle. Um, like, I don't know what tape you're watching to make you come to that conclusion, but either you're watching the wrong tape or you're not documenting it correctly because you're coming to an incorrect conclusion. This is kind of the same thing with Cam Robinson. It's like, look, trust me, you go back to his college tape, I can understand within five plays why people love Cam Robinson. He, within five plays on any tape, you will see a play that makes you go, okay, this guy's got amazing movement skills. He's got strength. He's got power. He's got the, the ability to make all these plays. And then five more plays, you will see why it never actually happens. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. So if you're only looking at the tape and just 
looking at traits or viewing it through that lens, you can easily come to convince yourself that Cam Robinson is a good player. You need to actually document what you're watching and how often he's getting his ass kicked and how often he's losing because that's the relevant part of the information and that's where he falls down. So I would agree with you that I think you can convince yourself that, hey, there is a trend of some of these guys taking a big step forward quite late into their careers and it's worth taking a shot that this happens for Robinson. It's bad process if you're just looking at him and thinking he's already there and it's better to have him in the building than not, which sounds like the way they've gone. Yeah, guys, free agent tackles that are still available that have that had a higher pass blocking grade, not only last year, but over the last few years. Ali Villanueva. So again, we're trying to protect Trevor Lawrence here Yeah, as a rookie. Ali Villanueva would upgrade. Russell Okung would upgrade. Kelvin Beecham, I know he's been playing right tackle. It's Marvin Jones, signed at receiver for the Jags. I like a lot. I'm a Marvin Jones fan contested catch guy he's really good at the catch point when I watch Trevor Lawrence play he gives guys opportunities he's a good back shoulder guy he's a good just chuck it up and let him go that's why I said I'd love to see a Han Robinson return to Jacksonville but I think Marvin Jones DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault if that's the trio in year one and it kind of pushes LaVisca down the depth chart a little bit to see how he develops and maybe can be used on more gimmicky type stuff I just I like that a lot because LaVisca has potential to improve but I just I want to take a little pressure off him, you know. In the meantime, so I like that. Yeah, um, I'm interested in the move they made. The moves they've made at cornerback as well. Shaquille yes. Griffin um, re-signing Sidney Jones, who was quietly quite good last year, having been basically a bust. In he was their only guy that showed up for a few games last year. Yeah. Um, now you have a trio of Shaquille Griffin, Sidney Jones, and C.J. Henderson, last year's first-round pick. That's very long on talent and very short on consistency. <laughs> like, you can definitely picture a world where those guys come together as one and become a really good cornerback trio. On the other hand, last season, Sidney Jones was the only member of that cornerback group in uh, Jacksonville that wasn't beaten for a passer rating over 100. Um, for as good as Sidney Jones and C.J. Henderson are in terms of um, ball skills and being able to make plays at the catch point they combined for 13 pass breakups which Shaquille Griffin has exceeded twice in a single season so Griffin brings a much higher propensity to actually disrupt plays at the catch point and cause problems for receivers I do like the group I, I really like that trio as a potential fit but it, it's it's risky in terms of like the chances of all three of those guys coming good in the same year at the same time feels like a stretch. But I like the gamble. Yeah, so I think it, it's kind of like their draft, as you said, with C.J. Henderson, right? It's like, yeah, it, it could work. It could not work. You know, we might – do we see a Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Boye type of season right. out of them? I don't know if we get there, but it's like the potential's in there, right? So overall, I like where the Jags are going. I'm not trying to be completely positive about everything, but I think the Jags got better here. And I like some of those underrated defensive line moves. Indianapolis Colts, this shouldn't take long. They re-signed Marlon Mack for one year, $2 million, coming off an injury. Don't forget they just announced a big move for a quarterback yesterday. Oh, yes. They also uh, they traded for that guy, Carson Wentz. Yeah. Um. <laughs> We've discussed this enough. I mean, we're not getting into the, the – my favorite thing about this show is we're not getting bogged down in quarterback talk. We can definitely get bogged down in QB stuff. We get to talk about the Roy Robertson-Harris defensive line moves. But um, the Wentz stuff, we could – 
So the Colts we'll talk about another day. Yeah, the Colts with the regime they have right now are the classic wait until wait the wait and see team. They wait until the second wave of free agency, which we haven't really hit yet, to make their few targeted specific key moves and add some talent. Now, despite the third most cap space right now, yeah, but that's why they have that because they 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 aren't deploying it like that. They're using their cap space on their own players and to make huge moves like trading for DeForest Buckner every now and again. Now, they didn't make the splash that we suggested would be wise or might be wise in getting Trent Williams. He re-signed in San Francisco. We'll get to that in the NFC show. Um, I think, though, that they... So they still have this glaring need at left tackle. A lot of people expect them to address that in the draft. But in the draft, the Colts are picking, what, 21st? Um You'll probably have a tackle available, but you don't know which one, and I don't know if they value all those guys the same. Waiting that long to secure your left tackle of the future when you have a quarterback in Carson Wentz who needs protection desperately, I think is a risk. So the Colts, to me, might be a team that waits until that second wave of free agency and signs a guy like Villanueva, you know, someone that will give you average to below average to just passable play at left tackle and at least ensures that you don't have a catastrophe there if your first round rookie is a train wreck Ali Villanueva or Russell Okung yeah I think would would get to the same results when I did do the article a few weeks ago on Quentin Nelson and what they should do from using war should they move into left tackle when I workshopped all of the potential solutions that is the best one it is a Quentin Nelson or uh, Quentin Nelson at left guard plus Villanueva or Okung, that type of tackle, or you go to the draft. The draft, though, the range of outcomes is much wider Huge. because you don't know what you're going to get from that rookie. So Okung or Villanueva, absolutely the play there. The other thing, too, you know, just because they have money doesn't mean they're going to go full Patriots and just throw it all out there on day one. Will Fuller, still out there, haven't yep. mentioned him yet. You know, Antonio Brown, I assume, is going to go back to the Bucks, but, like, do they – Sammy Watkins, you know, do – do they they need receivers do they take some of these second wave receivers and all of a sudden it's like okay now you've got some compliments from michael Pittman and guys for Wentz to throw to absolutely i think that's what they're going to be doing they have a couple of fairly key needs they're needy at left tackle at wide receiver and they could use a cornerback Um, i think they would be wise to take a shot in the second wave at each one of those positions it'll be interesting to see where will fuller's market is given the fact that the wide receivers have been slow to sign so far and the ones that have haven't necessarily gone for huge money. Will Fuller's a really intriguing player. They might end up bringing T.Y. Hilton back. Um, I get asked every week on, on indie Radio, are they going to bring him back? Is, is What's his market going to be like? And they had an offer out to him before free agency. Given how slow the wide receiver market is, I would imagine that offer is no longer on the table or at least is less than it was when it was first offered it still might be his best destination is to just yeah. take whatever's on the table and go back. Um, so either way, I think they will add a receiver in this second wave, and then cornerback would be a, a big add as well. You ready for the Houston Texans? Oh, God. I feel like I need to go full list radio here and read out their moves. They have made all of the moves. Should I, should I read all of them? Oh, okay, sure. Signed Mark Ingram, one year, $3 million. Signed Christian Kirksey, one year, 4.5. Resigned Vernon Hargraves to a one-year contract. Signed Justin Britt, one year, 3.2. Signed Andre Roberts, two years, 6 million. Signed KGL, that's the uh, KGH, <laughs> that's the linebacker, who's a great coverage linebacker, one year, 3.25 million. Traded for Marcus Cannon. Traded Bernardrick McKinney for Shaq Lawson. Cut, 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 JJ Watt. 
Malik Collins, one year, six million. Signed Ter- Terrence Brooks, one year, two million. Justin McRae, two years, four million. Joe Thomas, one year, two million. Kevin Pierre Lewis, two years, eight million. Tyrod Taylor, one year, six million. Terrence Mitchell, two years, seven point five million. Really broke the bank for that one. Tavir Thomas, two year contract. This is a championship team just rounding out their roster, Sam. They have re-signed one player and acquired 14, and I don't know that they're any better. This is the most New England free agency that anybody has had in the NFL, including New England this year. This is exactly what... If this was done by any team that wasn't a train wreck already, you would be like, this is great business. Um, They have signed a bunch of players that I think do actually they, they are better players they they are upgrades over what they already had on the roster but they're such small insignificant upgrades compared with the holes in this team that it just it doesn't do anything it's rearranging the deck chairs on the titanic without fixing the giant hole in the side of the ship that the iceberg caused it's just not it's not do, it's not stopping you sinking to the bottom of the ocean the thing i just i wonder about this is when when um, bill belichick describes nick casario it's uh, Nick Casario was pro personnel guy there. He's the guy who knows everybody around the league, every last special teamer, every fourth string defensive tackle. I know there's other people around the league that do this, but I'm just saying that was Casario's specialty. And I think that was part of what made New England really good, right? New England, in addition to having Tom Brady, the last 10 or so spots of their roster were always filled with somebody who at least had a role or had something to do, or, you know, or if they had to step in, they, they had a skill that the Patriots could tap into. So this is kind of Casario's skill set. But I think the point is this will when when the basics of the roster are getting better, these moves will will make more of an impact. But when is that going to happen and how is it going to happen? This is the thing. If yeah, you got to get the foundation a little bit stronger. If this team was already in a really good shape, I would love this free agent period. They haven't spent much money. They've got a lot of players that should materially be better than the players they're replacing. But again, like, when are you actually going to address the core of the team, which is the weakness? This is like making decisions on amazing, you know, plaster work or, or cornices in the corner of a building that's still lying in ruin without, like, structure to it. Like, it's just a foundation piece on the bottom in terms of a quarterback. Nobody has built the walls yet, and we're trying, we're trying to d- decide between, you know, fancy plaster work over the fireplace. Like, what are we doing here? Well, this is just... Why wasting everybody's time? Well, here's what I would argue, right? Deshaun Watson being the – let's assume Deshaun Watson's the quarterback for he a minute be. here. Let's assume for a minute here. Okay. Him going 4-12 and 12 last year, them going 4-12 and 12 is rare for a quarterback playing that well. Are they looking at this saying, we expect Deshaun Watson to be here, which immediately gives us a baseline of being good, right? We're immediately contenders in the AFC South because we have Deshaun Watson. They're not, though. The defense is what really needs the overhaul. The defense is what really needs the overhaul. Yeah. And they could, they could still do that. They don't have the draft capital, but they could still make some moves there, and they could still be a second-wave player. But right now they are just getting the fringe pieces of the roster. I mean, they filled out roster spots, you know, 40 through 53 so far right. with these players. The problem is the first 40. And I think we need to start talking about Deshaun Watson as being a, a part of Houston's past. Um, somebody made the point. Probably, yeah. Was it John McClain? McCain? Yes, he continues to push that they are. Well, he continues to say that they that he's gone. But somebody made the point that they haven't said that he, they haven't denied that they will trade him since January. So you know, this yeah. first came up and it's like Deshaun Watson will not be traded. He is the Houston. He is Houston's quarterback. 
they have not denied that he will be traded since January. And they've had plenty of opportunities to come out and say that, right? They've, they've had guys on the record since then. John McCain, is it McCain or McLean? McLean. McLean. John McLean, famed Houston beat writer, says he thinks it's going to happen. I mean, I've been saying for a while I think it's going to happen. I just don't think you can piece this back together. So if Deshaun Watson is gone, okay, you're going to have a ton of draft capital, presumably. But that leaves you without any foundation pieces on this team. Like, you are literally, you now have, you've got, the house isn't even there anymore. At that point, you just have a vacant lot. And you've signed all these, you've, you've made all these decisions about the plaster work and the, the furniture and all the things that go last in the building. The building is not there anymore. You just have a, a patch of ground with nothing built on it. Like, what are you doing? I don't know. He's, I, again, I think Casario's knowing, doing what he knows from a move standpoint. And then I think there still is hope that they'll have Watson. I don't think they, I, I really think, think they don't want to trade him. Just, I mean, I think they're just building this roster backwards. I, they're, they're addressing all of the finishing pieces to a roster without having the primary pieces that you need in order to have a roster in the first place. And they I need playmakers said, on defense. There's no doubt about it. You need playmakers on defense. Okay, you're kind of hamstrung by the fact your quarterback wants out and you don't have a viable alternative right now, so that's a problem. But you also need some more playmakers because they've all departed the building pretty much. You just – everything. This need, everything they've done is not what this team needs, and they need the other things. All right, let's wrap it up in the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans. Their moves scare me a little bit. I'm not saying they can't get out of it. Um, I think, you know, I'm trying to think like last year at this time, we're looking at the Vikings, right? And they trade Stephon Diggs and it's like, man, you just had one of the best receiver tandems in the league and you trade Diggs and they, in the draft, replaced him with Justin Jefferson. It's okay. There's a wash there, if not better with what Jefferson is on a rookie contract. Again, though, you don't want to be like, Hey man, we really got a hit on wide receiver two in the draft Mm -hmm. and three. Yep. We really got a hit on a starting corner in the draft. Like the Titans are for a, back-to-back playoff team really cutting it close here so what they've done Corey Davis is out John U. Smith is out they're two top pass catchers on the free agent market AJ it's AJ Brown and Cameron Batson and a whole bunch of guys that aren't really impact players um so they've got to get receivers uh they bring back Anthony Ferkser so there's a there's a tight end but then cornerback release Adoree Jackson, release Malcolm Butler. They're two starters. Adoree's the guy that's been injured, that maybe the NFL would do over $10 million. They just don't want to deal with that. Malcolm Butler has played well, man. He's been a pretty good player. He's coming off a decent season. So two legitimate starters. They replace one with Janoris Jenkins. A little bit older, a little bit more consistent, maybe more durable, and that's their reasoning there. Christian Fulton's the other starting corner. We liked him last year. We liked him coming out, second-round pick. We thought he was a first-rounder. 56 grade last year you know you're relying on him that's fine but they need more depth at corner they need more playmakers I mean it's really that simple and I think their season hinges on these next few weeks and finding those players yeah they have done the Vikings were it was a good comparison they've left themselves a very small window to hit it's a very difficult landing to have to stick it doesn't mean they can't do it but it it's always when you put yourself in that position it's just it's hard because now you have to achieve something very difficult to do and hit on a specific group of players. And the draft is such a – the crapshoot is the, the 
stereotypical term, the, the cliche, but it isn't wrong. It's very difficult to consistently draft well, particularly when you need to. <laughs> it's just, it's shrinking your margin for error here. Like it's one thing to have to hit on a certain percentage of draft picks just overall to have to hit on specific draft picks because you have desperate needs and holes that need to be plugged is really hard. Um, Adoree Jackson to Janoris Jenkins, I think is another example of what we were talking about before of they hate injuries. Adoree Jackson is a better player than Janoris Jenkins in every possible way, except being on the field. Availability. Yes. Your best ability, a best ability is availability and Janoris will be available for you. Um, but he won't be as good as the guy that would have been. I, we, we were talking about this on the live show yesterday, and you can look at a – Dory Jackson basically didn't play last year. So you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at it and say, hey, this year we basically get a free agent in a Dory Jackson coming back. Him returning to the starting lineup is like a free Pro Bowl caliber player that we don't have to budget for. He's already here, and we get him back. It's a bonus. Um, or you can say, well, he didn't play last year. So to hell with him. We need to get him off the roster and replace him with a guy who can come in and be on the field. And they've taken the second way. And I think, assuming he isn't one of these players that's just perennially broken and a complete write-off, I, I think you might be smarter looking at it the first way and saying, hey, look, we're going to get a player back. They'd already picked up his fifth-year option. They, 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 well, that's the other of part money, of it, yeah. Right, he was due over $10 million. But it just leaves you with a massive hole. And look... I I just think they're all you know, pass the ball, stop the pass. All right, we're repeating ourselves over and over again. I just look at their secondary. Kevin, Kevin Byard's good. Amani Hooker's shown some flashes. He could be okay. I think he replaces Kenny Vaccaro just fine as the starter at safety. There's just a lot of pressure on Christian Fulton. They have no actual slot corner. And the thing I keep going back to is the Titans with Marcus Mariota at QB were consistently this nine and seven caliber team in part because they had a trio in the secondary. That kept them in games. Malcolm Butler, Adoree, Logan Ryan, and the, and they've they've gotten worse there. Yep. And, and now the other parts of the offense of you know having AJ Brown and Ryan Tannehill step up has offset that. But you want both in sequence. If they're going to make a championship run, you need the passing attack. You need the pass defense, and both have gotten worse this offseason. Well, the the, the pass defense has not guaranteed to be getting worse. It's, ri it's just riskier. It, yeah. So Janoris yeah. Jenkins, I mean, if, if Adoree Jackson got injured again, Adore, uh, Janoris Jenkins would be, would be better than what they had last year. Also, Janoris Jenkins does have a season in his career where he's been at that level. It's just that it was like one year, five years ago. Um, so potentially they aren't worse there. Also, you get Christian Fulton coming back, and that was a big part of what that defense should have been. So again, in theory – you can paint a scenario whereby they got better, but you're now relying on Christian Fulton coming in and playing well. You're now relying on a Dory Jackson, or sorry, a Janoris Jenkins being an upgrade over what was there before, which isn't necessarily going to happen if a Dory Jackson was going to come back as opposed to be injured again. So it's definitely a risky thing. And then as you pointed out on the offensive side of the ball, your receivers, you now need to go and draft somebody who is as good in year one as Corey Davis which is definitely doable. I mean, look at the track record of wide receivers taken in the first couple of rounds the past few years. It's not that difficult to do, but you now need to do it. It's a, it, you don't have margin for error anymore. You can't swing and miss. The other hole, too, is um, they, uh, Dennis Kelly gets released right tackle because of the Isaiah Wilson thing. So right tackle, yeah, receiver. Which was a hole all last season corner. because of Isaiah Wilson. 
All right, let's get to the AFC West. I just tweeted it out. The people are here. They're live watching us, Sam. We appreciate everybody that's here live on YouTube or if you're listening, wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget, free agency 30, free agency 30. You get 30% off all of our PFF subscriptions. Elite is the thing to get right now. Edge, of course, is awesome with the draft guide. QB annual, everything that you get there. But Elite's the way to go, fellas, especially with all premium stats. If you're a Texans fan and you want to know about those 15 players you signed, we have data on all of them in premium stats, part of PFF Elite. Let's start with the Chiefs, defending Super Bowl champs. Joe Tooney, they break the bank there. You mentioned to me last night off air, they may have offset it with the Kyle Long signing. Yeah. One year, five million, right? Yes, I, I think so. Um, I, Joe Tooney's a great player, was the sort of star of free agency from an interior offensive line point of view. The Chiefs needed to rebuild that offensive line. They paid to do it. That is one of the biggest sort of, overpay contracts in this free agency period for Tooney. Um, but I think they absolutely, if you look at it in tandem with the Kyle Long deal, Kyle Long signs for one year, $5 million. Okay, they'd have to re-up him next year if he plays well. But those two together this year, I think becomes a very moderate and good um, tandem and good value tandem. Kyle Long, look at the history of offensive linemen that have taken a sabbatical for whatever reason. Um, they've all come back and played really well. I think people used to talk about offensive line play being like getting in a car crash every Sunday. You just go out there, you smash your face into a guy 50 <laughs> times a game and yeah. just have to live with the consequences of that in your body. And the guy you were smashing your face into weighs 300 pounds. Like it's literally like being in a traumatic road accident every single week. That has to have some kind of like just attritional toll on your body every year so offensive linemen more than a lot of positions i think to just take a year off get out of there go sit on a beach for a couple of months work on rehab get 100 percent healthy work everything out get fit all those things then come back at it again from a position of 100 percent health not from like the starting point of 75 percent health and then chipping away at that through the season i think it's a really good thing for them kyle long back in the day before injuries started to a chip away at his play was a really good offensive lineman and a sort of physically freaky one as well um, a guy with incredible a lot like uh lane johnson at right tackle yeah. just a physically really impressive um player who could play at a really high level i think he's a guy that got healthy a year ago or with his year off could immediately be one of the better offensive linemen in the league for not much money at all the, the benefit of being live here is that when I misspeak, people will... Correct you? Yeah. Huh. The Chiefs are not the defending Super Bowl champs. They're not. Idiot, no. Steve. Yeah. Sorry. They lost. My apologies. Lost by... Defending AFC was champions. Ugly. It's, it's not 2019. No. So my apologies to the live crew there. Anyway, the Chiefs, do you think... Again, we go back to this. Uh, you know, the Super Bowl is going to dictate their offensive line strategy. I th are, are they looking at this and saying... We're going to invest at guard because that's the way we want to protect Mahomes. Think about how Mahomes maneuvers the pocket. He feels edge pressure. He steps up and in and around. And Do they feel like maybe they can be weaker at tackle, but they need to shore up the interior? What if or is along? it just the way the market is, and they, they think we can draft tackles rather than drafting guards? What if Kyle Long is the right tackle? Oh. 2014 was... Uh, so he's had three seasons in his PFF career with a pass blocking grade above 80. Two seasons in which he didn't give up a sack. His best year 
came as right guard. Um, the following year, 2015, he played right tackle and was pretty good. Um, I don't know that Kyle Long is necessarily their guard. You know what their best case scenario is, though? What? Mitchell gets healthy, wants to play. Grab him for a one year, six million, or something like that. Sure. But I'm sure he would want to go back to Kansas City. Joe Tooney is going to be their left guard. Left tackle is still a question mark. Right guard, Lauren Duvernay Tardif is apparently coming back. He has said he is. Yep. Um, Lucas so. Niang is still there. He was a developmental prospect we like you know we said that was a great third round pick anticipating the future there at tackle so yeah, he's in the mix but it's very in the mix i think is a good way of putting it i know a lot of chiefs fans are just penciling him in as right tackle done but yeah. this guy was taken at the bottom of the third round right. and as much as you might like that for value <laughs> expecting him to be good is if, probably a stretch if you read the pff draft guide last year mike renner's comments he needs his entire pass set footwork everything just started from scratch yeah so yes there are absolutely so he might be fine questions. but i don't think you can rely on that being a plus position of play heading into this year he's definitely in the mix but if he's fighting with kyle long to start maybe kyle long wins that job and starts at right tackle um otherwise i mean is is kyle long your swing player do they release larry duvernay tardif does he get cut having so you're saying COVID because larry's there you think long I just think he's in the mix of right tackle as well. I think at his best, when he was healthy, he was a pretty good right tackle, and they okay. currently have an open space at right tackle, whereas they have a reasonable guard coming back into the picture. So that's all they've done pretty much so far, the Chiefs. Uh, obviously had to cut Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher, and who knows, maybe Fisher ends up coming back on the cheap as well. But either way, I think they need to anticipate the future at tackle in the draft. Uh, another team that you just you don't want to leave that hole, but it, it might be there. What about on the defensive side of the ball? Because they're, they're going to lose Brashad Breland. Uh, Legereus Sneed is back. Traverius uh, Ward back. But you still want to add some corner depth. And you'd probably like to have a dynamic pass rusher opposite Frank Clark to go with Chris Jones. They were apparently pretty hard into the Trent Williams sweepstakes before the 49ers made him the monster deal that he couldn't turn down. But I think there was they obviously couldn't get Trent Williams and Joe Tooney. Sure. But e so either way, they were saying we want one of the elite offensive linemen in this class. Yeah. And they have restructured a lot of deals to move money around. The Patrick Mahomes deal still puts them on an extremely small number this year in terms of a cap hit. I wouldn't rule out the concept that the Chiefs have money to play with to make a bigger move than people expect from them. And one of these guys that's still unsigned or hasn't had a strong enough market compared to what they thought they would have ends up wine, ends up playing in Kansas City who I think still have that draw of case a ring here okay it didn't work out last year but the Chiefs are the Chiefs and the Bucks are the two teams where if you're chasing a ring you're playing for one of those two teams oh absolutely so th they do have that they do have that allure and uh, we'll talk about it plenty this offseason are we concerned about the receiver situation in Kansas City Sammy Watkins is out and it's not that he's the massive loss it's this whole idea of having a third option. If you're trying to build a championship team, filling every hole, third receiving option behind Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey has to be a major priority. And this is the issue with rebuilding the offensive line. You have to go whack-a-mole over here to forget about wide receiver three, which might be a bigger long-term issue. Yeah, but it's a much better place to be than Tennessee who need wide receiver two True. and tight end. Like, they... They're not in a bad spot, but it is an issue. It's, it's a position they need to attack, but they don't 
have to 100% nail it. You know what I mean? Watch them get Will Fuller. Right. So they can pick up a a guy in the second wave of free agency. They can draft a receiver in the first couple of rounds. And whilst it would be great if they hit on that guy, it doesn't cripple them if they don't. So, yeah, they have work to do in that area. But I don't think they're in a similar spot to a team like Tennessee, who not only needs to attack it, but actually needs to hit on it. Otherwise, they have problems. Let's go Las Vegas Raiders. All of a sudden, their offensive line. Did you see the thing I sent you about the old ESPN commercial? I didn't look at it. What was it? This is one of my favorite old-school commercials. It's uh, Derek Carr's rookie season's 2002. He gets sacked 76 times. David Carr. David Carr. Sorry. Because there's correlation here. It's the cars. He gets sacked 76 times. So prior to the 2003 draft... The commercial for the draft is, you know, they show a clip and, you know, Derek Carr comes up to the line and they David just... David Carr. Dave, oh, man. David Carr comes up to the line and there's no line there. It's just nobody's there. It's yeah. just like oh, a big blank thing. That. I remember right? that commercial. And, and over the top, it's ESPN. It's like, what does your team need? You know, yeah. tune into the draft type of thing. I remember that. And then somebody tweeted that joke for Derek Carr uh-huh. yesterday. Like, here's his offensive line and it's just a big blank. Nobody. You know, here's your depth chart. Yeah. And I was like, look at this, you know, 18 years later. That was the David Carr actual ESPN commercial. So the Raiders offensive line this year, Trent Brown starting tackle, traded. Gabe Jackson, we thought might get released. He gets traded. Uh, Rodney Hudson was going to get released, the starting center. He gets traded. (laughs) And Richie Incognito released. The Raiders worked so hard. Three years ago, we were having this discussion with the Raiders. They had no offensive line, and they did such great work to make it one of the league's best. By bringing in Gabe Jackson, by bringing in Rodney Hudson, uh, a couple other moves at the time that were good, and now they're just starting from scratch again. Yeah, Richie Incognito says he's back with the Raiders. Oh, okay. Um, though I don't know that that was tremendously well backed up by other sources yet. So, um, yeah, Pelissero says he's resigning as well to a one-year deal. But okay, anyway, so that's so that'd be so that's good. Colton Miller made some great strides at left tackle. Um, Andre James is slotted in at center right now. He has not performed well. In his I think we owe it to people so to document how not well Andre James has, has played. So let me give you the... Um, per PFF IQ? No, no, no. Well, you can do that as well. But let me give you first the context of what they're replacing in terms of Rodney Hudson. Yes. Rodney Hudson has been the best pass-blocking center of the past decade by a reasonable distance. He has one, two, three, four, five, six seasons in which he's given up fewer single-digit pressures over a season. So six years in which he's given up single digits. Single digits is insane. One, two, three, four, five years in which he hasn't given up a sack. Two more years, three more years, sorry, in which he's given up one sack. He has given up 10 sacks in 10 years, five of which came in one season, right? So in, in nine years, he's given up five sacks, essentially. Rodney Hudson is like the textbook best pass blocker in the NFL at center. He's got... Two years in which he gave up three pressures each year. One more year in between that where he gave up five. Like, his numbers are just absurd. Absolutely ridiculous as a pass-blocking center. There was a three-year stretch in which he gave up 11 pressures. That's That's, three weeks for some centers. That's madness. That's absolutely nuts. They are replacing him with... So, Andre James... Uh, played a little tackle at UCLA. We saw him play about 120 snaps or so in 2019. PFFIQ, the next uh, generation of PFF products for uh, NFL team clients. Hit me up if you guys are listening, front office folks. IQ is a great way of just sorting what a player is, what they're going to be, and valuing them. 
So, and they put it, we put it into percentiles here. So Andre James on 120 snaps, zero with percentile pass blocking grade. The what now? Zero with. Zero with. Yeah. That's it's good. a small sample size, but zero with worst. Yeah. Last in pass blocking grade, run blocking grade on gap runs, run blocking grade on zone runs. Sometimes you put him out on an island on a true pass set, and that's you know the biggest challenge as a pass blocker. He's last there. <laughs> and then sometimes you protect him with play action or with three-step concepts or against a three-man rush. He's last there on those mm. three things as well. So very small. He is 99th percentile, though, in avoiding negatively graded plays oh. in the run game. Ah. Um, so um, they are said to a very love- small sample, but it was just funny seeing this breakdown. Yeah, they are said to love him. Like it's, <laughs> they they love Andre James, so they were prepared to cut, to get rid of Rodney Hudson to put him in there. He has one start at center, and that one start generated a PFF pass blocking grade of zero. That's the zeroth percentile. That is the zeroth percentile. <laughs> zero point zero. Um, that is literally as bad as it gets, and that's the player they're putting in there. Now, look, it's one game already in his career. Who the hell knows? Maybe he'll be good, but. It's just kind of funny that you're like, yeah, we're per- perfectly prepared to move on from the best pass-blocking center over the past decade and replace him with a guy who, when he was last starting a game at center, had a pass-blocking grade of zero. I, I just think it's one of the stories of this offseason that there are teams like the Raiders, the Chiefs, the Steelers, teams who all had good offensive lines last year that have a complete turnover. Yeah. And you don't know exactly what you're going to get. So it's just... There's so it's the same thing we're talking about the Titans and their secondary and at receiver. Not every roster is filled here. There's plenty of time. There's a draft. There's second wave of free agency. But right now there are just massive question marks at a lot of these units and the Raiders offensive line, absolutely one of them. It's also though a weird situation where again, like sometimes these moves the teams make smack an awful lot of not really having a coherent strategy in place, right? So they cut Richie Incognito and re-sign him later. Okay, that make some sense in this world of shrinking cap and let's just try and get people back on a cheaper contract number than they were on. We are prepared to expose this guy to the open market on the basis that we think we'll be able to bring him back for cheaper and we're not that sad if he departs and we don't get him back. So that makes sense. They, it was reported that they were cutting both Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson only to later trade them. Now, Hudson apparently wanted out. Sure, but the right. point is... you. It was reported that they had cut both those guys and then, like, presumably discovered that you could actually get something back for them in a trade. Typically, when it's leaked that a guy is getting cut, they're not getting traded for anything more than, like, a seventh-round pick. Rodney Hudson got a third-round pick back, which means there were multiple teams in on that. Like, you don't get a third-round pick back if it's just one team. They had multiple teams on the phone being like, dude, if you're going to cut that guy, we will send you a pick for him. Send him over here. And Gabe Jackson ends up being traded for the Seahawks as well. Similar kind of deal. Like, what are they doing that they didn't realize you could trade these guys in the first place? No, I think that's I think that's how you do it though, Sam. Because No, the, it's not. Yes, it is, because the league the league year hadn't started yet. Yeah. So trades aren't going to be official. You leak that guys are going to get released and then teams start calling. No, I mean I think you trade you get on the phone and you're like, hey, this guy might be available if you, you send out the ship. mass email. Yeah. You don't put say on, like, put him hey, on your fantasy leagues. You don't uh, say we're cutting this guy, but would you please give us something in return before we do? Because then all you're getting back is a seventh round pick. You get on the phone and you say, hey, the best pass blocking center in the Maybe. NFL. We might be prepared to move on because we don't love the guy's contract. Let me, what would you give up for that guy? Let me give the Raiders the benefit of the doubt here too. Gabe Jackson and Rodney Hudson both coming on. So Gabe Jackson's coming off his two worst graded seasons. 
So he was good from 2014 to 18, graded in the green every his, single year. His career is upside down. It is upside down. So he's just a name at this point. And yes, he was he was one of the guys that was a big part of the turnaround. Like they got him friends when they turned around this offensive line a couple years ago. He's coming off his two worst seasons. Rod, Rodney Hudson, for all of the accolades that you just you know listed, coming off his two his worst season last year, his worst pass blocking season, his lowest grade uh, either ever or in a long time. So, do we actually give the Raiders credit for moving on at the right time and actually getting a third rounder back for Rodney Hudson, who is in decline? And I do think when we talk Cardinals and NFC, we're going to look at one of the best moves because that and you know they've shored up their offensive line there potentially. Are they getting out at the right time here, even though they are leaving what looks like some gaping holes? They did sign Denzel Good to come back. He is He's played worse than Gabe Jackson, but are they at least getting out of veterans at the right time here? I would give them credit if I didn't think that the third-round pick they got back was an accident that happened after they had decided they were releasing him, and then somebody got on the phone and said, don't do that. We'll, yeah, we'll wait, give you we'll a give trade. And more, more than one team did that because otherwise it wouldn't have been a third-round pick. And so the other thing is, in isolation, none of these moves is bad. I think the point you make is fair, which is all of these guys have shown signs of decline and are of an age where you might think about moving on from them or have a contract that you might think of moving on from them, whatever. You can make the case that any single one of them is the right move to make, but you just can't turn over that percentage of an offensive line in any one season. You can't do it. The, like the chemistry of a group, of a homogenous unit on the offensive line is too important to dump them all at the same time and try and replace. It's too hard. You, you, can't, you can't do it like that. So, I don't, again, I don't think you can give them credit for making the right moves when you, you needed to stagger this is what I'm saying. If yeah. you were going to make these moves, all right, somebody needs to get in a room a year ago and be like, this entire offensive line is going to need to be turned over in the next two years. Let's start planning how we're going to do that. Let's make one move now. Let's take one move next year. Let's take the next move in a year and a half's time. Now we can, we can do this whole thing in stages, and the offensive line will remain fine throughout the entirety of it. Now you've just jettisoned three-fifths of a good offensive line and are plugging it in with what? Like, that's not a strategy. They're another team that might go into the draft in the, looking for a tackle in the first round uh, among all those first-round potential tackles because Brandon Parker right now is slated to play a right tackle. I also wonder if they're just like, man, this is year three of the Mayock-Gruden regime, right? Or four? Three? Into four, right? It's, it'll be the fourth. But this is but is this them trying to get their guy, the Andre James of the world, the Denzel Goods who they brought in, and Brandon Parker who they drafted? Are they trying to get them? Like, all right, guys, time to go play. I mean, maybe. It's risky. They don't but have a great track record of putting this, in 10 players. This is the perils of, uh, of team building, right? We thought that the Raiders were going all in on defense. It sounded like that was the case. Whack-a-mole again, right? They, now they have to fix this offensive line all the, all the while defensively. They're saying they need some alphas. They need some guys. And they haven't gotten anything yet other than Yannick Ngakwe. And Ngakwe, again, I think he's an overrated pass rusher, but a good fit for Gus Bradley, for the system. With what else they have in Max Crosby and Cleveland Furl and Maurice Hurst, I think the line's getting better there, and Ngakwe makes it better. The secondary is still the biggest concern here. I think top to bottom, the Raiders have just they they are right now living the consequences of a failure to acquire talent in the past couple of years, both in the draft and free agency. They just they haven't the moves they've made have missed, and so they're still trying to 
patch over these holes that should have been fixed a couple of years ago. Like you trade away a Khalil Mack, okay, the numbers would say the trade you did was the correct one, but you the pieces you then pulled in to replace him didn't work out, and you haven't had plus play at that position. Now you're trying to fix it with a one-dimensional pass rusher in Yannick Ngakwe, who you hope will provide the speed off the edge that you haven't really had since Khalil Mack. Yeah, sorry, 2019 was Mayock's first year there. You bring in a John Brown, which I really like as a move. I think that's the best move they've made. Um, but John Brown potentially replaces what you left in, where you lost in Nelson Aguilar, who was a surprise, who was a surprise occupant of the role that Henry Ruggs was supposed to have, which is he's your designated deep threat, the guy that provides Derek Carr the capacity to scare teams deep down the field and be a good offense. Without that, the Raiders' offense is a lot more predictable and Derek Carr is a lot more easy to defend, and they don't scare anybody. Suddenly you have a deep threat, and everything changes. That was supposed to be Henry Ruggs. That's why he went number 11 overall, above CeeDee Lamb, above Jerry Judy, above Justin Jefferson, above all those other first-rounders. He was the guy to provide that, and he didn't. Aguilar had more than twice the number of deep touchdowns. He had three times the number of deep— oh, no, three times the number of touchdowns, twice the number of deep catches. He was the guy. John Brown could be that guy this year which means like three years into it, you still don't know if you have anything in Henry Ruggs. They just, this is an embodiment of what happens if you swing and a miss a bunch of times on talent. I'm not too worried about what you're saying here. I'm not too worried about Ruggs and John Brown being redundant. I mean, you can use Ruggs any way you want. Okay, but they haven't yet. Yeah, but you can't. Like if you, they used him as a deep threat at times. They want, they used him a little, maybe too much as Tyreek Hill, gimmicky type player or whatever it is. But I, I think, I think they'll be fine here. They will be fine. Um, I think the Raiders, though, the I just like their drafts, I go from like, yeah, I agree, to like, oh, I don't like that. I, I just go back and forth between yes and no, and I feel like some of their moves here are similar. Uh, we got, what, the Chargers and the let's, – let's discuss the Denver Broncos. They just released Phillip Lindsay too, huh? Yeah. That's a, that's a local favorite there. So 32 – Rookie wide receivers had 10 or more targets last season. Would you like to know where Henry Ruggs ranked in terms of PFF grade? Yeah. 28th. Yikes. Not good, Bob. I'm just saying. Will Fuller effect. The guy runs a 4-2. There's a role for him in an NFL offense. We haven't seen it yet. And if John Brown occupies his role, they need to figure out what they're going to do with him. Guy's fast. He's going to be fine. Yeah. How's that working out for John Ross? Speed guys. <laughs> All right. They'll figure out rugs. They'll be fine. They'll be fine with rugs. Raiders still have some work to do defensively. Denver Broncos, another team that's been somewhat quiet, but I like the two things that they've done. I kind of like the two things they've done. Shelby Harris coming back. <laughs> I like that. Bad pass machine. One of our most underrated free agents. Ronald Darby is in my, you know, Ronald Darby and Jason Verrett. Just replay the last five years of free agency podcast, guys. We love Jason Verrett and Ronald Darby. On one- and two-year deals is the thing. Ronald Darby reminds me a lot of a guy that actually played for Vic Fangio a couple years ago, Prince Amukamara. Hmm. Very similar where it's like when healthy, went out on the field, played for multiple teams, and mostly been productive. The uh, Mike Renner broke the news that Pro Bowl fullback Nick Ballore will be staying put and re-signing with Seattle per source. Uh, for those listeners that don't know, Mike is buddies with Nick Ballore, so I suspect that's his source. I'm going to ask what his source is. But critically, 
Ian Rappaport has quote tweeted Mike with the news. No. He has. Seattle gets his fullback back. Come on. Mike is the source. He is, he's broken the news. He is the newsbreaker at PFF now. Granted, his sources may be limited to uh, source question mark breaking news about Nick Ballore. But uh, yeah, he got quote tweeted by the rap sheet. This is amazing. Nick Ballore is back. So there you go, Russ. Look, we this is some big news. We don't want to wait for the uh, NFC podcast here tomorrow. I like how Re- Renner added his own. He added his own commentary too. Huge get for the Seahawks in their pursuit to appease franchise QB Russell Wilson. Water carrying like all the rest of them. Is he a special teams ace as well? Mike, if you want to be full insider, you have to call him a special teams ace. Or is that diminishing his value as an offensive weapon? How Mm. do you do that for your friend? For your friend Nick Ballor? I think that's diminishing the value. You've got to pitch him as an offensive superstar first. Former linebacker turned offensive weapon fullback Nick Ballor. Well, this has really hijacked the entire podcast. We were cruising, too. We were on pace for less than, no, just a little bit, two hours. Whoops, there goes the table. All right, what are we wrapping up here? We've got the Chargers to get to as well, and the Broncos. uh, What are your thoughts on the Ronald Darby deal? I I like Darby in low-risk situations. Three years over $10 a year is a little bit riskier for a guy that's been a little up and down. Um, I also, from a system standpoint, Fangio's a little bit off coverage, a little bit more zone, quarters type of look. I like Darby just straight up in your face playing man coverage. I yeah. don't know about the fit. Yeah, I don't love the fit, um, but I do think that this is a good defense and a good uh, coach, and that will help. And sure. he won't – they have some players there as well. Remember, like Denver's secondary this year got absolutely eviscerated. They had a cornerback crisis. Um, everybody they had got hurt. Uh, even players that were like moonlighting in different positions ended up getting hurt. But you bring – in a Ronald Darby, you get Bryce Callahan back, who was one of the best slot corners in the NFL, had to play outside and did pretty well. Suddenly you've got a couple of pieces in there. You've still got the draft to come. I like the, what they're building, and I think the money is about right. I, I think that was a decent deal for them to get him in. I agree with you. I'm a little bit skeptical about the scheme fit, but I think if anyone's going to make it work, it will be Fangio. Uh, still a bit more work to do, I think, on the back end there in Denver. But uh, they bring Vaughn Miller back too, which I think great. And you know, resign or franchise tag Justin Simmons, which is big. Franchise tag Justin Simmons, which is excellent. He's a good fit for their for what they're doing on the back end as well. And he's been really good these last couple of years. You know what else they did? What's that? Free up a lot of salary cap space. Oh. Setting up for Watson? Yes. I, I genuinely think Denver are one of the teams. Where do you want Deshaun Watson to go the most? If you had your druthers, whatever those are, if you had them, where's Watson going? Miami won Denver two. Miami won? Yes. You want to see him in Miami? Yes. Or you just think it's the best? Both. I, the, Miami, Watson and Miami, is just it makes too much freaking sense. Just get it done. They have all the first-round picks and a bunch of second-round picks. They have Tua. They have a playoff-ready roster a potentially championship-ready roster if they add Deshaun Watson to it. South Beach is fun. There's no tax. Why would that not happen? Just do but it. That has nothing to do with your preference. Like, oh, I want to see Watson in South Beach. Who it cares? has for Watson. Yes, we're t- I'm talking about you. What? Who does Sam I just, that Where does move, Sam want to see Deshaun Watson playing I football? I want to see him play in Miami. The move makes too much sense to happen. Just get it done. Anyway, Miami is a great fit for everybody concerned. I want to see it. Do it. Denver, I think, is a great fit as well. And I really want to see 
the receiving core that they assembled, albeit minus Phil Lindsay now, um, with Deshaun Watson throwing them the ball. Jerry Judy, my guy, great route runner, translates immediately, ruined by Drew Locke in season one. Um, KJ Hamler, a potential Tyreek Hill-esque threat as a vertical slot receiver. Cortland Sutton coming back. Tim Patrick still there. The tight ends they have. This is the best receiving core in the NFL on paper if they have a good quarterback throwing them the ball. They haven't. In fact, they've had a crappy quarterback throwing them the ball. Give them Deshaun Watson and make finally answer all their problems, right? De- John Elway has been searching for a quarterback since Peyton Manning. Here it is. Get it done. I mean, that's why I think that's my favorite fit for Deshaun. I want to see Watson, Mahomes, Herbert, and Carr battle it out in the AFC West. That's what I'm rooting for. Chargers. Let's wrap it up with them. Like some of their moves? They're yep. up. Going back to the uh, offensive line well, Corey Lindsley at center, Matt Filer, our boy, tackle slash guard, Sam. He could play either position. Uh, they cut Trey Turner, and they cut Casey Hayward. But Lindsley and Filer coming into the offensive line, Michael Davis getting re-signed at corner. Just some decent, solid moves here, I think, for the Chargers. Yep, I really like both the offensive line additions. Corey Lindsay was the best center in the NFL last year by a distance. He gave up four pressures in 13 games starting. Um, was, if anything, better as a run blocker. Like He's a perfect test for if this thing is just built on a, you know, an Indian burial ground. If the Chargers' offensive line just has no hope, anything they touch turns to crap, whatever the reverse of the Midas touch is, the Chargers currently have when it comes to offensive linemen. If Lindsley comes in there and plays badly, just forget it. Figure out a way of playing the game with that offensive line because you can't find them. Um, Matt Filer, I think, is a great move. I like him better as a tackle than a guard, but even if they're plugging him in a guard, he should be a fairly significant upgrade over what they have, and I think his floor in terms of being that upgrade at either position is very high. So they should have upgraded two out of five offensive line spots very comfortably. And then signing Michael Davis back is a good move. It's another offensive line that needed the complete overhaul yep. this year, right? And that's and, a problem. And I think they could complete it with a Rashawn Slater in the draft, potentially. Northwestern left tackle. So left tackle is still a major question mark. Brian Bulaga went healthy, good solid right tackle. And then that frees up Filer to play guard. So there's a path to creep back toward average for the Chargers there. Uh, still could use uh, for the 19th year in a row interior pass rush help and uh, with Casey Hayward on the way out you know the and Michael Davis is good he's solid but there's it's it's a less attractive looking secondary than it looked on paper last year even though it didn't matter but on paper with Chris Harris and Casey Hayward and Derwin James last year it was like man this is this is how you attack the Chiefs defensively Um, but it's a whole new system and one that's predicated on preventing big plays and um a little bit more zone you know it's zone heavy but in a different way not if your guy uh derwin moves to corner <laughs> if we do have <laughs> that, that move. sense that casey hayward is another example of hey look you can definitely make the argument that they got out at the right time um, yeah. he has had a decade's worth almost of like amazing pff grades incredible coverage numbers just phenomenal play 2019 had a coverage grade of 83 2020 that dropped all the way to 59.5, the, by far the worst grade of his career across the board, just bad everywhere. Um, and, you know, now he's 31 and a half. He'll be 32 next year. 
I mean, you can definitely look at that. It would be scary to sort of re-up him and think, yeah, he's definitely going to be fine at, as a starting corner again. It makes sense, I think, to move on from him. One of the most difficult things of free agency, I, this I, this first hit me a couple years ago when we were analyzing it in maybe 2018, and we were like, this guy was good in 2015. If you could get back to three years ago, this guy's going to be great. And, of course, that year always moves up. But the tricky part is figuring out, like, like a Gabe Jackson who hasn't graded well for us since 2018 now, do you, can you get him back to that point or is it ready to, or is it time to move on and it's it's hard for us sometimes to get caught up in Casey Hayward's a big name in PFF world because he's always graded well you know your breakdown he's always graded well so did he drop off was it a one-year blip do you still have two or three years left in him is he Terrence Newman or is he you know guy that's just done and or Josh Norman right whoever you know yeah. so th- those things are always tough to figure out but you know my, my theory is always to try to take as many of those flyers as possible if you can get them on the cheap so there you go afc free agency breakdown so far we're going to be back tomorrow it's a bonus podcast friday morning we'll probably go live again youtube got over a thousand people watching us right now on youtube sam so no news hello. i mean the closest we got to news was renner breaking nick Ballore is news we'll dip. have the should we get renner on the podcast for the full nick Ballore scouting report no. for the nfc show tomorrow no oh well, that, i mean how great. much time do you want to dedicate to nick Ballore signing at least 10 to 15 seconds okay well, yeah, sure. We can we get him in call, for that. We should call Renner. We'll zoom Renner in for a 10 to 15 second breakdown on his buddy Nick. Maybe how he got, how he worked his sources and, and that whole deal. Perfect, yeah. Really lift the hood on that mechanism, figure out how it worked. I want to tell some of the other stuff that, no, we can't, can't get into that. All right. Anyway, it's been great. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. It's our regular Thursday podcast. We'll be back here again tomorrow, breaking down the entire NFC. Don't forget, free agency 30. Go to pff.com right now. Type in that promo code, 30% off, Edge and Elite. See you guys tomorrow.